Gua sobro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, presented by Macy Sports. And we're back, episode 119 of the podcast. We're back with more of a white cap-centric review because, I mean, I guess at this point in in our dreams, we'd be preparing for a, a Vancouver Whitecaps Western Conference final, but it wasn't meant to be. Instead, uh, we're... We're preparing for a Western Conference final that I don't think anyone would have expected heading into it. But that's MLS for you. There's a lot going on in MLS, but the good thing is that the, the the train never stops in White Caps land. We got a lot of chat about in this episode, so we're back. I'm your host, Alexander Gungiruzi, joined as always by Sammy Rowan. And before uh, we dive into all this White Caps, you know, recaps and some off-season chatter. Uh, you know, a little, little bit of MLS playoffs and whatnot. Sam, how are you doing this week? Doing well. I'm, I'm excited because before the show even started, we were, you know, setting up our notes and, and diving into some of these off-season topics. And it's just, I almost enjoy the, the off-season project as much as match in, match out in the regular season. And, and for once, the playoffs, because you get to... You, know, you get to play chess, checkers, you know, 40 chess, whatever whatever your game of choice is, but you get to move all these pieces around the board and think of how everything could work out. And it's it's exciting, and it, it's so exciting because the Whitecaps actually have a, a foundation to build on for what feels like the first time in a number of years. I mean, you know, the acquisition of Lucas Cavallini did not a, a foundation make, but now with the possibility of a coach you're happy with going forwards. You know, you've got your star player, number 10, in Ryan Gauld. You've got some other quality complementary pieces. I think the, the project this time is exciting rather than daunting. I mean, we've done, we've done some of this off-season stuff before, and it was a lot of questions. And yet you got excited about certain elements. You know, we were... We were bullish on the the idea of Bruno Gaspar and Ali Adnan at, at fullbacks going into the season. Never got to see it happen, but you were you were having to grasp at things in order to really find how this team was going to be successful in a sustainable way. And it, it feels like the tides are shifting a little bit. So uh, we'll talk about the match, I think first and foremost, but then also going to dive into to some of that off season stuff and and get it started at least. Obviously, these will be prolonged discussions we'll have as the Caps go along the way of making whatever decisions they might make in the offseason. But uh, I guess, Alex, yeah, let's start with the match that was the, the first Whitecaps playoff match in four years. And it's not, it wasn't disappointing. The result was disappointing. The, the performance was all right. It wasn't anything spectacular. But, uh, you know, the Whitecaps caught a better team on a day where things just weren't quite going their way. That's at least what it felt like to me, just in a big-picture perspective. Yeah, I mean, just to start with that game, it's really... It's just an unfortunate way for the Whitecaps story to end, I think. It, it just... You just felt like when they were going away to Sporting Kansas, 
you know, that something was just going to happen. They haven't really necessarily done all that well for them since 2017. We kind of talked about that in our playoff preview. At the same time, it's a, it's the playoffs. It's a one game, you know, anything can happen. I think we saw that in some of the other playoff games, let's say a rail salt Lake, but it just, you know, I think for the white caps, you have to be disappointed with the timing of it all. I think the fact that they were in such good form heading into an international break kind of killed their momentum Meanwhile, Sporting Kansas City were in a, a vein of form, which was the complete opposite. They got the international break. They got most of their bodies back, as we kind of expected, despite most of them being listed as questionable beforehand. It just ended up being, you know, a, a fair, predictable result. And I think it's just unfortunate for the the Whitecaps because it might not have reflected what the second half of the season looked like for them. I think their their story certainly deserved maybe more than just a a three to one loss in the first round, but ultimately it was a fair indication of the game it was a fair indication of their opponents. And if you just look back, it was SKC was just the more ruthless team. They, they scored early on. Uh, and then that kind of just set the tone. The white caps did very well to claw one back, but then it was just that late goal in the set, the first half that really kind of had they survived to the first half regrouped, maybe made a change or two. You would have, they, they could have made something of the game, but it's just when he's Matt Martin or Mert Merton, scores that that or Mirin sorry scores that goal in the, in the you know the sloppy goal off of some some sloppy defending a throwback to the old white caps if you will it just kind of set the tone of okay now you, you've already came back once kind of off not a fluky goal because the white cap deserved a chance but kind of you know again winning a, a handball off of a penalty where you know it wasn't like they were in a shooting situation it was off a, a failed cross to 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 then you know, get a penalty. It wasn't going to happen twice. SKC were just too dangerous. And then Graham Zussi does that, ends the game. It was just an unfortunate way for the Whitecaps to, to end. But ultimately, you look back, they just didn't do the things they needed to, uh, to to win, the things that they've done all year. They are at least since Vanny Sartini came in and heck, even towards the end of the Mark DeSantos reign, they didn't defend compactly. They didn't defend with the, per- the same purpose they did. They in, in attack, they weren't necessarily generating some of the looks we've been used to seeing from them. They didn't get Ryan Gold on the ball enough, Brian White on the ball enough, Christian Dahomey, and those rest. You know that those those few things led to a recipe, which was the the three to one loss. I mean, I, I look at a couple things. You know, yeah, you go on the road to SKC. It's you you need most of the factors to to sort of fall in your favor. So starting out to lose Christian Gutierrez to injury prior to the match than to have Ranko Veselinovic not fit to play in the center of that back three. Then, you know, uh, Vanny was very noble after the match, taking it upon himself that Eric Godoy was a coaching decision and didn't go, you know, he didn't go with it the right way. But I have to imagine Godoy was not at his best, was not looking at full fitness during training to have all those limitations going in, um, you know, you, you needed it to fall the other way. You needed a one of the two SKC center backs to be unavailable. You needed Johnny Russell to be unavailable or Azusi to be unavailable. Unfortunately, all those guys, other than Alan Polito, who it turns out they didn't really need, they were all available. Some of the Whitecaps' crucial defenders weren't. And then you have the early goal. You have a goal right around the half, which is always critical. And then you have a wonder goal. I mean, you know, it was going to be a challenge for Vancouver to overcome this sporting KC team on on the best of days. And that's just 
too many things stacked up against them in this one. And that's why I think I agreed for the most part with Vanny Sartini's post-match reflections was, you know, we played, we played well, not perfectly and, and not good enough to get the job done. But I think there were also a lot of, a factors, lot of factors that, that, that even that if they even play if well play on that ball. day, I don't know if the match really would have gone in their favor. Yeah. And I mean, you have to give credit to SKC. I think most importantly, I think that it was kind of talked about after the game, how, SKC prepared for the Whitecaps. They kind of did what they could to limit the three, you know, the the, the kind of the three-two. I guess what you call it, the three-four-one or two-one. Sorry, that the Whitecaps have been playing. SKC did what they could to limit it. They isolated the midfielders. They stretched out the that that middle of the park. I think if you're the Whitecaps, you also, while yes, Godoy probably should have started, especially if he didn't have a minute limit. A, if like you mentioned, he didn't train that well. You, you know, you couldn't have seen that come. And also, B, you're, you're not planning on Florian Youngworth having an uncharacteristically quiet game by his standards at, at all either. Or same with Jake Norwinski. I mean, you know, it's it's always the playoffs. There's going to be nerves. It's going to be especially when the, the last thing you want in, in your first playoff game in four years is to concede an early goal. Like, that's just the, the backbreaker. You don't need that. That really kind of, especially for your defense. I think you could tell that that is set in because even when the Whitecaps attackers kind of woke up for that 20, 30 minute spell, every time Kansas would go the other way, the defenders just looked nervous. You could kind of tell they were thinking about that. That first goal, it just, yeah, it set the tone for, for a rough night. I think ultimately the thing is with these new playoff formats is it's, it's so tough to analyze playoff games. I don't think, me personally, I don't really have much to dive into just because when it came down to one game, it, it, so much can happen. And it's nice because on one hand, you can be a team like RSL and think, oh, anything can happen. We can take on anyone. It's the playoffs. We can go far. Magic. But on the other hand, it's, you know, it, it's not sometimes you'll have a performance that won't be reflective of what you showed. And I think the Whitecaps aren't the only one. You look around the league. I think Seattle's certainly bemoaning their luck from their game. I think Colorado, for example, one of the best teams all year long, you know, one bad 90 minute performance, they're going home. That's just the reality of this new playoff format. It's entertaining as heck to watch, especially as a neutral. But when it comes to participating in, in the actual games, it's, it's tough because yeah, one game good or bad, everything changes for you. And for the Whitecaps, unfortunately was on the, the other side in, of, of the ledger. And that, that, that really is unfortunate for them. Yeah. I mean, the, that's the nature of these playoff matches, both, both good and bad, right. Is that, you know the little things can often flip the script, and and you even you look at the the late scenario in the in the final regular season matchup on decision day between RSL and and SKC. How different the playoffs might look had with one var check, one var check, or you know even just a you know a foot here, a, a nudge there, right? Um, you look at the fortunes of those two teams. You look at how it affected someone like the Whitecaps, someone like Seattle. Uh, so ultimately, I don't think that you know the loss necessarily says all that much about the Whitecaps' success at the back end of the season. I think overall, you look at the the run of form they were on, the the success they had against good teams, and you you still have to remain confident that there's elements of that that can be carried over into next year. I mean, Alex, do you have any final, as you already said, I don't think I have too many explicit, you know, pinpoint details I want to bring out of that SKC match, other than maybe something that was already clear is continued to be clear in that match, which, you know, Russell Tybert and 
Leo Wusu probably aren't your midfield double pivot going forward. Uh, they they tried their best and and put in a good shift, but you know Russell Tybert in particular, the limitations were definitely shown a little bit in that match. Yeah, who would have thought a day where a third sub episode doesn't spend eighty minutes breaking down uh, one one game? But uh, anyway, jokes aside, I was that's funnily enough the one point I was going to bring up too. I think this taught you a lot about what wasn't there as well as what was there. I think what you, you look at what's there. Um, I mean, you know, in goal, Max Crepo is Max Crepo. I think he had, if anything, you look back, he had an off night. He's probably still thinking about it himself, knowing him. And those happen. You know, you can't sit yeah. there. The Whitecaps aren't in the playoffs without Max Crepo. You, so you felt it. You felt it in the post-match press conference, though, that he was he was definitely feeling some of the some of the weight. Yeah. So, I mean, you got a good goal. You know that. You go through your back three. I think what you learned is as much as you got decent options there, you still you need your best guys on the field. And I think what that teaches us for, for next year is either you have an Eric Godoy on the field regular, you know, regularly like he was in 2019, or you find a guy who can be that guy if, if injuries won't allow it, or for Ranko too, to, to that matter, because Ranko – stepped up and turned into an Eric Godoy this year. And even he wasn't, uh, you know, he turned into an Eric Godoy both in terms of how he plays, but also in terms of the injuries, unfortunately. So I think the taught you just maybe, I think, I guess we'll get, we'll get into all that too in our, in our kind of off season wish list. It kind of showed what you needed the back. Like you mentioned in midfield, it shows the absence of say one guy we, we, we brought up pre-show that we continue to forget exists, but Kyle Alexandre shows how much you need a guy like that in midfield next year. And then at least up front, it shows that you've got, Guys who can put the ball in the net uh, in white, Nahome, Gold, you just need to get them the ball. Also, Diver Caicedo as well. Shout out to to a great season for 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 him. Um, so ultimately, yeah, I think the midfield for me was the biggest thing I noted. I'm, I am impressed with Peter Vermees and how he targeted the Whitecaps midfield just because Tybert and, and Owusu had been so unplayable over the last few um, games heading into it. Yet, SKC, it wasn't that they targeted Tybert or Wusu either. That was the most interesting part about it for me. It's just instead they isolated them. And I think because what was what Sartini's system did so well was that it, it, it offered all sorts of support for Owusu and Tybert. And they were able to, to play consistently, you know, in movement. They'd have the ball. They'd be able to play it forward, sideways, backwards. They know, knew where the options were. Well, for me, it's like, okay, we'll leave Tybert and Owusu alone. We'll just isolate them. We'll take away their options and let them play into trouble i thought that was a bit of a you know a tactical you know bit of genius realizing okay instead of trying to to stop the 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 perceived problem we're just going to cut the source and it worked masterfully so i think like you you mentioned that you you could tell the the limits to tybert and wusu as a pair as in i think uh, in the right game they're very good they're they're certainly mls level they can play but what they're missing was a guy like an Alexander who can kind of take a step above and do things on his own. He sees a, if he sees a low block, he's like, I'll just dribble through it or pass through it. Whereas, you know, Tybert Wusu, what we learned is when the, when things are created for them, they can play the progressive pass. They can open things up, but you, you, you know, you need a guy like a, a, an Alexander or another guy who's of course good at it, but he didn't get the ball enough as gold. You have, you know, you need those guys in big games when when a team throws a low block at you or throws something unpredictable and and changes things up. So it's important you mention the midfield because while I think you're not necessarily in trouble if you're starting them in, you know, say going, say you're going next year 
you're starting them on opening day. It's not a bad thing. It's just, okay, if you want to do well in these big games, you want to be able to be a little more flexible. You're going to need a guy like an Alexandre. You're maybe even going to need another guy like an Alexandre alongside Alexandre going forward. But I think Abusu and Tybert, it's not, you know, I think, unfortunately, looking at the midfield numbers game, it looks like one of Abusu or Bikel are gone because no way you're going to have two international backup midfielders next year. So it's going to be interesting to see who they, they keep. But if Tybert and Abusu are around, say, next year as backups, that's not a bad thing. It's just for this game, uh, they got they got exposed, I guess, a bit. Yeah, I was going to say, I think as as a starting duo, you know, in a depth role in a in a busy triple match week, you know, you throw them in on a on a Wednesday night in the right matchup, it works really well. And we saw at times at the back end of the season how Vanny got the most out of them. But it's just not, yeah, not something where they're gonna be system breakers, where they're gonna, as you said, with someone at least what you're hoping for from a guy like Kayo is he's gonna he's gonna see what the opposition's doing and just beat it, right? The you're not gonna get that from Leo, or not yet at least. I feel like Leo showed a little bit of that at times near the back end of the season, but you're definitely not gonna get that from Russell Tybert at this point. And just the two of them together ultimately, you know, didn't have it quite enough to get it to the game breaker in, in Gauld and, you know, when the volume of chances just isn't high enough and you as SKC, you're, you're catching some breaks or you're taking advantage of uh, you know lapses on the defensive end for the White Caps. It's, it's always going to be an uphill battle. But I think that kind of transitioned us pretty well to you know big picture talk. How did you know if we're trying to cast our our imaginations all the way back to February and coming into the season, your expectations, your thoughts about the team, and and then kind of fast forwarding to where we are now. I mean, is this, despite the coaching change, in terms of the team's performance, is, is this what you expect? Is this better? Is this worse? I have to say this is, you know, really not that far away. I think I probably picked them to be a, I think I picked them to be 8th or ninth in the West. And, you know, they went they went on a, a late season heater and, and slipped into the playoffs. So I don't feel like it diverged that much from my expectations. Obviously, some of the particulars of how they got there, definitely a surprise to everyone. But uh, yeah, interesting for your thoughts, kind of looking back on, you know, how the season went overall. Funnily enough, I think this is about as bang on as I could imagine, just because I was in a similar boat where I, if I, I, I wrote down my right caps prediction. I think it's on our, our Between the Sticks website. I think I had them eighth or ninth, similar. But like I, if, if you go back to our early season episodes and we did all our predictions, it was pretty much, I think the Whitecaps, it looks just like they're going to be an eighth or ninth place team. If they get a number 10, they're going to make, probably could make the playoffs. You know, hey, again, like you said, the particulars, how they got there, did I expect them to fire Mark DeSantos? If they're going to be a playoff team, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, think, I, I think we both kind of came up to the consensus that he'd finish the year and then we'd see what his plan would be when his contract's up. Did we expect Brian White to come in and replace Lucas Cavallini and bag 12 goals? Absolutely not. I mean, how um, are we supposed to predict Brian White being the Whitecaps' leading goal scorer at the start of the year? Like, That's true. Forget, forget <laughs> White. Who could have thought Cavallini would be replaced by anyone? Like, I guess in our heads we're thinking, oh, it'd be great if that's Theo Bear or David Egbo, but we weren't thinking, like, no way. You're, like, you're, like, you're no going to make Cavallini. an intra-MLS trade for 450K, and that's going to be the difference. For, for a striker that, you know, we, we both like, but we thought was 
at least I thought was okay. This is a bit of a strange move, a bit of a, you're just kind of getting an average American striker when you got Cavallini and then white turns out to be a lot more than just that. I mean, yeah, you just look at some of the other things Did I expect the white caps to trade for Florian Youngworth from San Jose and he ends up being a fan favorite, all of this stuff. No, but at the same time, there were a few things that ended up happening that, you know, they got the number 10, Ryan Gold. They made the playoffs. There's no surprise there. I think, one thing that we can kind of tip our hats on and uh, I mean we won't we won't go too much into individual accolades because I say in our next episode will finally be the long-awaited third sub award show that we we, we kind of put off in the middle of the season but we're definitely going to do in the off season but one guy for sure is going to get a lot of plaudits and I, I will give us credit we gave him a lot of high hopes at the beginning of the year as a Christian Dahomey for example we expect him to have a big year uh, we expected a guy like Kyle Alexandre to come in hot. He came in hot until the injury. Um, some of those guys, it's just, yeah, the surprise is like, again, another one, Javane Brown turning into an arguable rookie of, you know, super draft pick of the year candidate, uh, et cetera. So I think overall, it's pretty much just as where I thought it would be. The Whitecaps signed a 10. They made the playoffs. It's just, I had no idea that it would be, it would involve them going on a very bad start to the season and then a red hot one of the best teams in MLS end to the season and then a, a coaching change and all that. But ultimately this is kind of where I figured they'd be at, at this point. Although one thing I will admit is this does with how everything has gone, it does certainly change the timeline of where I saw the team next year. Cause in my eyes, if Mark DeSanto's around, they make the playoffs, uh, you know, next year is all of a sudden, okay, you, you want even more progression. Whereas now I'm finding it, obviously I expect big things. You got gold, you got some space to make, you know, a big signing or two. You've already got a very good core. I expect big things next year, but we have to remember, you know, there's, there's a possibility of an, you know, even if there's a new coach or if Sartini remains, it's going to be, you know, the, the adjustment of a full season, yada, yada, yada. My expectations have changed a bit, but ultimately I think this is where I thought they'd be at the end of the year. At least I hope they'd be. What's so interesting is that had, you know, if we go full alternate reality here and, the same team makes the playoffs, loses to SKC with Mark DeSantos at the helm. The decision-making process this offseason, what you do for next year, would feel unclear because you you had some degree of success, but you have to sort of judge, was it a mirage? Is it sustainable? But by bringing in a new voice, uh, you know, and seeming to change the culture, change the feeling around the team so drastically in that time, it makes... It makes the process moving forward appear at least a, a lot more clear cut. So that's definitely interesting. I mean, yeah, after, you know, after at times sitting at the bottom of the West and, and looking like they might stay there, I don't think I, I was probably hesitating on my initial prediction, uh, but they, they found a way to turn it around and, and certainly some exciting decisions to be, to be made this off season. I mean, just taking a big picture look at it, the only two guys that are, because MLS has interesting rules about free agency, Tussaint Ricketts and Andy Rose are the only two guys fully eligible for that free agent status. I don't believe, I guess neither of them have options for, for next year, but those guys obviously um, have roles in the organization that, that span beyond simply being a player. Toss has been doing some stuff on the on the business side and Andy obviously on the coaching side. So I'd imagine they have pretty vested interests in being back in Vancouver next year. But beyond that, everyone either under contract 
um, rights held by the team or some kind of contract option for next season. So uh, it's wide open. Alex, in terms or, of... Or they haven't been in MLS long enough to be free agents. So there exactly. are a few, I think. So Alex, in terms of you know roster construction, in terms of decisions to make in the offseason, where do you want to start? What's a... What's one of, one of the more controversial spots, maybe, or something, or you've you've got some some ideas in mind? Well, I guess first we we should look at who might go, and then kind of draft up a wish list based on that. I think that's probably what I'm thinking. So, I mean, let's just do back to front, and we'll, we'll keep it simple. We'll roll through starting goal. I think, you know, just to start off, you got Max Crepo, Thomas Assal, you got Isaac Bomer kind of waiting in the wings. I think Evan Newton probably won't be back. I can't imagine just because, you know, unless he's he's willing to – he likes the MLS pay and, and, and wants to stay as a third goalkeeper. I just think he personally might want to find a new a new opportunity unless one of Crepo or Hassal are moved on and he's the, the bona fide backup next year. But, uh, I mean, we've, we've kind of talked a lot about in goal, and I think ultimately it's going to be hypotheticals. I think one thing that feels a little more clear after last year is that it looks like Hassal is going to stay at least another year just because as much as he has the salon potential, he, he, he would be an attractive piece for a club to buy. He's going to be bought when he's playing and he's in form. It's always like that with goalkeepers, unless it's a Chichiro Odunze type or it's a, you know, a guy with immense potential who's 16 chilling in an academy, you know, anyone else is going to have to be moved while they're playing. So I think that means Hassal goes on loan or plays for the Whitecaps next year. I think that's I think that's one change from us six twelve months ago. At least I thought he he could have been a candidate to be sold if he if he'd gotten a, a decent run. But uh, I think ultimately what what happens in goal is going to all depend on Max Crepo. If Max Crepo gets a chance to go abroad and he goes, you got Hassal as the number one. You keep Evan Newton. You know maybe you loan out Bomer. You keep him around for the experience. You're already set in goal. Okay, you're fine with that. But Crepo stays all of a sudden everything gets complicated because you're probably going to have to loan Hassal. You're not keeping him around for another year to be behind him. And then that probably means, you know, does Newton stay as a backup? You get a new backup. There, there's there's complications there. But uh, I think one thing I'll say, this is more not just for, for Crepo, but also Canada players and MLS in general. And I'll, I'll kind of write about it in our new, in my newsletter in, in the coming weeks as the offseason year. I just found something that Jonathan Azorio said to be very interesting the other week at his the, the Toronto FC year-end media availability. He noted that he loves playing in Toronto. Obviously, he's a Toronto guy. He's, he's a key part of their franchise. But what he mentioned was that John Herdman had kind of, you know, mentioned that, hey, competition for places in this Canada national team is very strong. And obviously, as you know, people love to play for Canada right now. Uh, you know, all the players that are in the team are very committed to the team. Well, Herdman mentioned, if you, you know, at some positions, if you want to have your best shot at playing in the squad, you need to move abroad. And that's why Azorio said he's considering moving abroad. And if he's saying that, and he's 29, a cornerstone part of Toronto FC, you can only imagine what guys like Crepo, uh, you know, guys like, say, you know, Larea, John Stinn, et cetera, around the league that are in similar positions. So I just thought that that was interesting for Crepo that, even if he wants to stay in Vancouver, you certainly have to wonder in his head. He's like, I'm close to being Canada's number one. I need to go to Europe. I need to to, to get a chance. So I think that could open the door for him, at least to seek a move. Who knows if a move is actually going to come about. But I think ultimately the goal-keeping situation probably lies in his hands, I'd have to imagine. Yeah, it does seem like it all hinges on what Max 
is up to in the in in the off season. And I don't know from the just listening to him post match, it was definitely a a little more of a somber tone than than the other guys that came through. I think the other guys there was a lot of positivity about what they were looking forward to next season and and what they had built. And, and with Max, I sent some real disappointment. So I do wonder if he's thinking in the back of his mind that maybe that was his last match in a white cap shirt. And it, it certainly could be, I think, yeah, something I'm going to, I want to open up to you, Alex is where do the cap, if Max were to move on, where do the caps look for another keeper to bring in alongside Thomas Hassall? You have to assume that Hassall would at least, provisionally be the starter in that case but would they look to the cpl would they go the usl route again and uh, would you try to make it a, a keeping competition or would you try to you know hand the crown to hassal let him take the reins and, and then bring someone in a depth role it's a tough one that's a very tough one because I, I think on one hand i want hassal to just get the role you, you work through the growing pains. He's young. If the, It'll be worth it in the long run. But also, you know, at the same time, you can't help but wonder what would Crepo look like if Zach McMath wasn't there to, to, to kind of push him. Because we have, remember when Zach McMath was brought in, he was supposed to be the de facto number one, at least in, in an outsider's eyes. Obviously, you know, we should have seen maybe how close Mark DeSantos was with Max Crepo. His, his view was always to let him be the number one. But without that competition who knows what crepo is is today so i think for hassal i do like the idea of a cpl keeper i just think it would have to be the right one because it's just i don't want to bring in one of the good cpl keepers over just to have him rot away on the bench and you kind of like you know why did you bring him in in the first place if hassal's ready so it's kind of a mixed situation i mean i'll throw it back to you before i come up with some what are you your thoughts on that idea since you threw it out there well, I think if you're looking for, um, you know, it, it depends if you're looking for someone to purely come in as, okay, I'm trying to work this out. I think the problem is if you, kind of like you outlined, if you bring in an older guy, a guy with less, you know, long-term upside, then maybe that's not, I guess, other than the pay, at least from a, posi- you know, kind of role opportunity, it's not that attractive. You can you can be a starter, you can be a crucial player for your team in the CPL, or you can sit on the bench in MLS. But for a younger guy, I mean, someone like someone like Jonathan Sirwa, I think that the the opportunity to be an MLS starter, at least fight for that role and kind of work your way up the ranks, is potentially attractive. But he's obviously. Is he still under contract with Montreal? What's the situation there? Yeah, no, I, the thing is, he's one I, I thought of immediately because he's yeah. kind of the perfect blend of youth. He had a fantastic season. He'd be perfect. And that would be but like think, ultimate, ultimate internal competition, right? You hope to maybe get yeah. the most out of Hassal and Sirwa. But I, I don't know if Montre- Montreal would probably ask for an absurd price to let him go. Yeah, no, he's he's under contract with Montreal. And they have so much uncertainty in goal because obviously yeah. they got rid of Diop. They have Pantemis. They want to keep Brezza from, from Bologna, but they also want to keep Syrah for the future. So there's going to be a huge... I mean, maybe if you're the Whitecaps, you could watch that situation and be an opportunist and think, okay, if if um, Montreal brings back Brezza like anticipated, you kind of pick up one of Pantemis 
or Sirwada to kind of to be your guy. But I mean, I think Montreal's also learned their lesson of not giving away young, promising goalkeepers for 50k to the Whitecaps, especially with use of Daha at the helm. So maybe not. <laughs> but yeah, I just look at the CPL. It's tough to say who I'd I'd want. I mean, I think a guy like Cal Irving would be good, but he just seems perfect for Pacific. He's a little older. He's kind of at that 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 you know that just a bit. You know, I think he's 26, 27. You're kind of getting up there. I think Mark Kirkcaldy, she's perfect, but he's almost too good, I'd say. I think I'd like to see him go to a team where he has more of that number one lockdown. Like, like for example, I'd love to go see him give a give a go at Toronto if they get rid of Westberg this year and, and kind of take over from Bono. So I don't think Carducci really works. I mean, who else would I would I go for? Would I like, you know, Nathan Ingham, Christian Oxner? I've never really been sold on on those two. I mean, Tristan Henry. I personally think, you know, I like him, but he's also getting up there in, in, in age and he seems kind of perfect for Forge. And the thing is with Forge, and I mean, we'll talk about it here because there's a lot of guys. I think if you're looking at, the, if you're the Whitecaps looking at Forge, there's a lot of guys you want. But all of a sudden, this is a team that is multiple time CPL champs, could very well next week become three time defending champs. They're going to play in the freaking Champions League next year. It's not going to be so, if anything, so it might be attractive for guys in MLS to want to wanna head to Forge if they're, they're bitrate players. Like, you know, think, think of some of the, the Canadians who aren't getting many minutes. So I think, yeah, I just look around the league. There's, there's really not many guys who stand out as, as options that would work for the Whitecaps. There's a lot of good goalkeepers, but there's not a lot of guys that would work for the, for the Whitecaps. So maybe you keep Newton around under Hassal, whereas at least with Newton, you know, he's a former kind of USL top level goalkeeper, but he's also a veteran. And you know that at least even if he replaces Hassal, it's always going to be temporary. Hassal will get that chance to bounce back. So honestly, I think I might be fine with just a Hassal Newton and, and go from there kind of, kind of thing. But I to, if you find the right young goalkeeper, you, you can't ignore it. Like if you, if you get a chance to get a Sirois, you're not going to say no, but I think it just might not work out. Yeah, you have to at least knock on the door and, you know, gauge the gauge the level of interest or the, the willingness to have a conversation about it. But I think it's it's obviously of huge importance that whatever the Whitecaps do, they stay domestic. They've already got enough international spots. There's and there's enough good domestic keepers, whether it's of the depth variety if or if you're looking for a replacement starter that there's there's no need to go outside the uh, outside the box for that. But Let's move forward to the to the center back position. Um, Ranko Veselinovic with, I feel like we don't talk about it enough, just a, a massive sophomore season. Yes, injuries play a bit of a role, but he really struggled at times, uh, you know, in 2021, or not, not in 2021, in 2020, pardon me, and really kind of brought things together in 2021. Um, you know, for me, one of the, one of the best or, or most surprising kind of showings of the year. So he did a fantastic job. You've got Eric Godoy, who we've talked about before, you know, is a terrific center back, potential top five center back in the league when healthy, but never really got his season off the ground, not able to stay on the pitch. Florian Youngverth, who, as, as we talked about already, no one was expecting at the start of the year, he's filled in really well. And if you you kind of eliminate that playoff performance, overall was a very important player for the Whitecaps. And it sounds like he would be back next season, um, and you know, kind of got club control there. He's not in a ridiculous ticket, so so that seems all right. Um, and then beyond that, Derek Cornelius out on loan, Yasser Kamiri 
potentially coming back from loan, but but not a lot beyond that. So we were praising last offseason the, the depth and the potential of the center back squad, and uh, things have changed a little bit, but uh, still a lot to be excited about. Yeah, I think it's an interesting situation. So I think if you stick with a back three, I think you need at least five center backs in this case. So you, 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 four was fine if you're playing with a back two, just because you know injuries happen, you're ready. But especially in the case of the Whitecaps, they they all happen this year. To be fair, and for all we know, they'll ha- they'll find a back three who will play every minute of every game next year. Just you know, that's how that's how sports are. You never know what you're gonna get at those positions. But uh, I think you definitely need at least five center backs next year if you want to run this formation. I think you, as much as I've seen from Chatter Online, I think you keep Eric Godoy. And Eric Godoy is kind of like, when he's healthy, you, you start him. But you, you have to also prepare for him not being there. I think the, the backup plan is Ranko Veselinovic. And then if, if Ranko Veselinovic gets sold on, if he's not back, you're going to need to find a, a Ranko Veselinovic replacement. And that, that kind of leaves. I think you, you also keep Florian Youngworth. That's kind of three center backs already. And then it's, it's interesting, really, what you do with the four and five. Because... You know, a guy like Andy Rose, I guess he can kind of be the the, the number five, maybe even a, a number six at this stage. I mean, he's he's proved to be good in the support role, so I don't mind you keeping him maybe in that number five. But the question is, what do you do as the number four? Uh, because you you got a guy like Jake Nowinski who proved to be an, also and also a good number five. But if you're gonna are you gonna have both Nowinski and, and and Rose as a number five? You would like to have an upgrade kind of in that number four position, like that next man up, just because. Youngworth, Godoy, and Ranko all dealt with injuries this year. You definitely need a good number four. Cornelius would be the perfect number four. He's not around. His loan, unfortunately, looks like it'll keep him in, in Greece till the end of 2022. So there's no chance he comes back. As nice would be to see a guy like Campania, or Matteo Campania, or Gianfranco Facinieri. A, they're not ready for number four. So, you know, and, and yeah, it's just at, at best, they'll, they'll be a number one of them will be a number six next year between them. I think you're going to need to buy a number four, but I think otherwise there's a lot to like with the, the center back situation. I just think you absolutely, you need a purchase on top of it because the quality of the center backs wasn't the issue this year. It's, it was the, the depth. And I think, which was, you know, imagine saying that at the beginning of the year. So I think if you're, if you're the white caps, you definitely need to look for, for a guy there and, I think it's going to be interesting to see who goes. It, it, I, I just have a feeling that Ranko might be out the door, not because of anything bad. It's just he had such a good year. He was already a known quantity. I feel like teams could be looking at him and could be willing to, to invest. But uh, I also think it'd probably be 50-50 on him staying. I think. And then Youngworth is obviously a lock. And I just don't think it's worth to get rid of Godoy because even if you want to get rid of him, you're not making back the $2 million you spent on him. It's just he gives you so much value when he plays anyways. I think it's worthwhile to, to keep him around and then go from there. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, it's easy to say, oh, well, Godoy's, you know, best days are behind him, move him on. But but as you mentioned, that might not be the most shrewd decision at this point. And who knows, maybe you can get a resurgent season out of him. I think, though, losing Ranko would be huge because he's so good in that center of the back three um, was going back and forth with uh, Matt Doyle on on Twitter about this, and and Doyle rightfully pointed out like Ranko's one of the best one v one center backs in the league, especially in space. Like he's got confidence, he's got that ability to 
to take on players with skill and and deal with them. And sometimes when that formation at the back gets spread out, you need that kind of guy in the center of the park. And that was sorely missed against SKC. I think that's a big part of why Florian Jungwirth and Jake Nowinski didn't look confident. They looked a little scared because they didn't have Ranko back there. So I think that Axel Schuster's got to do everything in his power to keep Ranko for at least one more season, build that value a little bit higher. You know, maybe... if the player bangs on your door and says that he wants to be moved on, then I guess you have no choice. But I think if you can convince ownership or whoever you have to convince to try to keep him for another season, that's the decision you want to make. And then as you say, kind of that number four, number five, those depth spots, who can you bring in domestically? Is it someone on the rise from the USL or the CPL? Is it another intra-MLS depth acquisition? Uh, you can't be spending international spots. You know, Yasser Kamiri doesn't have a place in a depth role because you he, he can't provide consistency. He can't provide reliability. You don't know if he's going to stay healthy, just like Ranko and Godoy. So that's not an option. Maybe you, you think that Facinari can be that guy as soon as next season, but again, you can't rely on it. So I, I think really you need, even, even if Andy Rose comes back in, on some kind of, Role, I think you you almost need two depth players at the at the center back position, or you know maybe maybe you have a guy that can fill in both as center back and fullback depth. Maybe that's something you look at. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting position. There's there's a lot to like. You you could have a back three that's exactly the same as your first choice going into next year. But uh, you know what happens when a guy goes down is is a big question interesting i mean to add to your point yeah i think the white caps again i'm teasing our our wish list before we even get to it but i think yeah the white caps need a center back i think in a dream world that that guy you needed the perfect fit for that number four role is Derek cornelius so i think if you can get a guy like Derek cornelius i think i think you want to get someone young just because funnily enough the white caps are very veteran heavy at at, at cb you got a guy like eric godoy who's only like 27 but he's played professionally for like nine ten years you got Andy Rose, you got foreign young worth Ranko is your, your kind of, even Ranko again, who's young, he's been playing professionally for like five years now. So I think if you can get like a guy, kind of a guy in that 21, 22, 23 range, just kind of, I'm thinking like one guy, just some guys off the top of my head, like maybe even like a Callum Montgomery who played last year in San Diego. I think he's 23 played in MLS before kind of like at that level of player, somewhere between a Montgomery and a Cornelius Canadian, if possible, or, or American, but it would nice to be, it would be nice to see a Canadian just for, for national team purposes. Just, it's nice to see more Canadians play on the white cap. So I'm thinking like, yeah, off the top of my head, like I'm thinking like a, a Callum Montgomery esque player, maybe someone in the CPL too, who's, who's, who's kicking around. who's kind of in the, the that early twenties, you know, range and then, then kind of go from there. So, and then I think ultimately your plan is for 2023. I think you want one of Campania or Facinieri starting. I think that would be a nice long-term goal. Cause I don't think Ranko Veselinovic makes it past 2022. If he stays around, he, he moves on. And then in 2023, assuming you still got a back through, it'd be nice to see one of Campania or Facinieri slot in alongside say a Godoy, if he's, you know, still kicking around at that point. And then, uh, if Youngworth's still at a high level then or or whoever that number four we named is at that level, heck, if Derek Cornelius comes back 
kind of have that be your back three for 2023. So I think what that means is we'll get to it. I think, yeah, companion alone, Facinari probably on alone and with that in mind. But I think center back is pretty straightforward unless you have any last uh, objections. Should we should we move over to, to kind of fullback quickly and then midfield and up front? So I think fullback, it's going to be an interesting one. We've talked about it a lot. Kind of just I'll throw the names out there and I'll, I'll let you start this time, Sam. But we got... Uh, obviously, Christian Gutierrez uh, over at left back and then over right back where it's a bit loaded. You got Jake Norwinski technically, although he also uh, puts is a bit of a tweener center back now. So that could give him a bit of an edge, I'll, I'll add, in terms of staying just because he offers that 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 flexibility. You've got Marcus Godinho. You've got Bruno Gaspar. It's a bit of an interesting uh, position for, for the Whitecaps, isn't it? Yeah, definitely a lot different than the, the season started and a lot different than how you drew it up on the depth chart going in. I mean, Gutierrez is the, the, the really two guys at this position are, are the image of the kind of acquisitions you want to make. Other than if Javane Brown was a domestic player, then it would be off the charts. Right? I forgot Javane Brown. Thanks for yeah. mentioning that. <laughs> but really, I think, you know, Goody and Goody and Javane is, is the core there you're trying to build around. Guys that are young still have some some potential that are on reasonable contracts. You're only using one international spot on those two guys. So I think that's exciting. But then you look at the, you look at the wild cards, you, you know, Bruno Gaspar and, and Marcus Godinho Gaspar hot and cold all year. Couldn't stay fit. Um, and, and didn't play very well in, in, in the playoff matchup. We talked about it a lot unless the, the price is really reasonable it, it seems really difficult to imagine he's back. And then Godinho was signed, you know, kind of as a as emergency depth and definitely showed some flashes, but what kind of value are you getting for him? Are there some young players in the, you know, there's a couple really exciting fullbacks in the CPL you might want to take a flyer on. There's There's depth players elsewhere that maybe fit that role better at this point, so... I kind of feel like Gaspar and Godinho are both on the way out and you just try to fill in behind those two with some young guys, with someone like Jake Nerwinski, although I have to think under Vanny Sartini for the most part, he'd be playing at the center back position. And uh, I guess maybe just an, an outside shout out to, uh, you know, Janiel Bakel, who can be a, a fullback if you need him to be, but doesn't really seem to fit into this system. So, uh, yeah, I think Goody and Javain, you, you know what you have there. But beyond that, it's uh, a lot of question marks in terms of depth, which we're seeing a recurring pattern already in this discussion. You know, who's going to fill those secondary roles? I think for me, it's yeah, simple. I think Gutierrez and Javain Brown are your locked-in starters next year. I think for me, it comes down to ultimately, you keep one of Gaspar Godinho. I think you, you use Gaspar as your first choice. And Gandino is your second choice. And if gas, you find a price for Gaspar, he seems to fit the locker room. Sartini likes him. You know, he has that connection with Gall. I was going to say, good, fa- noted friend of Ryan Gall. So. And also, he played well. You give him credit. You find the right price. You keep him. That means Gandino's out the goal, out the door. Hopefully, that means, you know, for, for Gandino's sake, he was, he was a nice guy to chat to. He's, he's a good player. He's had some rough injuries. It would be nice to see him go to the CPL or, say, a Toronto FC or something like that and, and stick around. But... If not, if Gaspar's gone, I have no problem keeping Godinho just because 
you know, he, he has offensive chops. I think we saw it in the short time he, he played. The one thing you can get from him is offense. It's always been defense with him. Is he going to defend? But what's the beautiful part about playing in a back three? Defense isn't – you don't need to be like Maldini playing at left back back in the day for Milan when you're playing in a back five. You just need to be adequate. So, And if he's the backup to Javane Brown, that's all he needs to be is, is adequate. So I have no problem with Gidinho coming back just because he's cheap. He's Canadian. Uh, it's not a bad thing to have. Or is, I think Gaspar is the first choice. Then you bring back Gidinho and say, okay, somehow you'd lose both. And then you can you can start tapping into, you know, your names like your Zachary Verhovens or, you know, your guys chilling in the CPL at right wing back. Uh, and I'll give a shout out, uh, a do shout out to, to Caleb Wilkins for a lot of these names. He's been getting stuck in on the weeds with a lot of the names. And I mean, some of them are names I, I agree with as well uh, in terms of these depth positions. But, you know, yeah, for example, Zach Verhoeven, we'll just start out there. He's Canadian, at least. Because I think if you're one thing, if you're the Whitecaps this year, a lot of these guys, you're at a point where if you keep everyone from this roster, you're happy but also if you're every guy who leaves, you want to preferably replace them with the Canadian just because they're the one thing with the white caps this year, they were just too loaded up on international spots. And it was just so unnecessary that they had to trade for like three international spots. And then uh, when Alex uh, Kyle got injured, it was, it was a whole headache. The price is going up for these international spots across the league. So. Well, Charlotte paid what, like almost 200 or 300 K for one already those those damn new boys ruining the you know and causing inflation on on a good old international spot but uh yeah i think ultimately if you try to replace any outgoing international with the canadian so i, I right back that would be i just the first thing i can think of in my head is a verhoven but there's so many like Caden chung for example would be a, a perfect fit if you can convince him to to come or there's a lot of you know options like that and then left back same thing you need a guy behind Gutierrez just because he, A, his in, injury history, but also you don't have a, another natural left back. As nice as Dahomey is as an option there, it'd be nice to have another left-footed left back. I think that one's a little more easy. You throw everything you can at Diadine Nabzi. So it makes so much sense on, on so many levels. He had something like five or six goals, four assists at, uh, this year for York. He, he also, wing back. shout out to Caleb Wilkins, but he either retweeted or liked the article in which Caleb praised him. So maybe there's some there's some fire to that smoke. You never know. Yeah, well, he certainly, he sounds like he's interested in, in going up. He ticks all the boxes. He's 22, he's Canadian. He can play uh, fullback, wingback, and winger. So he's kind of got the versatility that would make him a good Sartini player. You know, he's performed at the pro level for three seasons now. What more could you want? I think it's just a no-brainer. And also, yeah, shout out to another name at right back I thought of, Mo Farsi, who was also a free agent, so it would be cheaper for the Whitecaps. Canadian also, I think, twenty. he's 21. He's a year younger than Abzi. Just throwing those, those names out there. I think it would make sense because, again, I think a theme across the roster is the Whitecaps – now, funnily enough, have a lot of the starters. It's more about figuring out depth for, for their starters, like we mentioned, kind of a, a theme on this roster. So I think it makes sense of, okay, you're definitely bringing one or two guys, maybe an Abzi or a Farsi or a, or a Verhoeven or a Chung, and then just, you know, you're happy with your fullback group. I think your fullback group was one of your brightest lights this year in terms of consistency and in what they showed. Nothing wrong with that. All right, well, let's move to a position where maybe there is a starter spot available and that's the that's double pivot in the the center of midfield Kyle Alexandre gonna be back you have to think that long term 
he's a mainstay in that double pivot. The question is, who do you pair him alongside? Because you've got Leo Wusu, you've got Russell Tybert, you've got Janio Bakel, you've got Michael Baldissimo, the, the much forgotten about man in the center of midfield. But who's going to take that role? Will any of them take that role? How do you manage international spots? Who do you move on from? Who do you keep? Um, it's a tough one. I feel like Vanny Sartini likes what he sees and what he can get out of Leo Wusu. So I feel like there's a spot for him to come back. Uh, Russell Tybert's never leaving the club, so he's back. Janio Bacal, Michael Baldissimo. What their roles are next year, whether or not they can be kept, I think is a question mark. Bacal, because he's taking an international spot and because you, you paid a decent amount for him. Baldissimo, because if there's not going to be a role for him here, maybe he is banging on the door saying that he wants an opportunity elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, you wonder what the Whitecaps do. You know, we're jumping ahead a little bit. If they move on from a guy like Lucas Cavallini, do they try to deploy that designated player spot at another position? Uh, this is this is one of the points of intrigue on the roster, at least for me. Yeah, I think you're kind of hitting at our wish list here, at least my wish list with, with midfield. I think one thing is I just thought of the Whitecaps also do have an open young designated player spot just because I think they've, they've got the three young money players, two senior DPs, so they have room for one young DP or should Cavallini leave, they'll have room for a senior DP. But I think, yeah, in midfield, it's really Kyle Alexandre. It's whatever ends up materializing beside him. If it's a new... I think it's just if you're looking at the Whitecaps roster, if there's one area you want them to address, and this isn't necessarily a slight, I think Leonard Owusu, if it's Kyle Alexandre and Leonard Owusu next year, you're fine with that. Heck, if it's Kyle Alexandre and, dare I say it, Russell Tybert, if, he's, if it's the Russell Tybert we saw at the back end of last year with Kyle Alexandre alongside him, you take it. But at the same time, I think it's one position where you can really see it a clear path for an upgrade on the Whitecaps roster i think and if there's a, a position you want to be very strong in it's in midfield and i think if you can have two kyle alexandre level players in midfield that's going to make a huge difference for for the white cap so i think ultimately it's just yeah alexandre and whoever they can cobble up if it's a wusu if it's tybert but ends up being bikel baldissimo all those guys are good options i think ultimately it's just you look at it if you say you know just assume you have that young dp spot and we'll just use, we'll say young DP for now and assume, say, Cavalini gone, it's also a, a DP. Where else do you want to spend it? On the wing, you don't really have wingers. You got Gold, you don't need a number 10. Heck, you have Vite, who's a, you have a backup young money player for your number 10. I guess it's really striker or midfielder. Cause I mean, I suppose you could spend it on a center back, which, you know, not, not really, you don't need to. Yeah, you, you know, you don't need to. You're not going to spend it on another wing back like you did with Ali Adnan it's really number eight or number nine. And I think just as you learn this year, you don't need to spend a lot on number nine. So why not just buy number eight who will help you control games, help you be more dominant in midfield because the, the better number eights you have, the better your number nine, no matter if it's Theo Bear, David Egbo, Brian White, or, you know, you throw in Emiliano Brienza, for example, no matter who is up there, if, if you have a stronger number, stronger midfield, you have stronger fullbacks, the number nine will look better anyway. So I think, yeah, I think it's pretty straightforward in midfield. It's just Alexandre, if you can buy a, an upgrade, you buy it. If not, you're fine with the Wusu. You're fine with Bikel. What I think the most interesting part out of all this is, like you mentioned, is who goes. 
someone's going to go. I think if you have two midfield spots, you can't have six, seven midfielders fighting for that role. I think it's tough to say who's the odd man out because I think you'd say Bikel based on the system fit, but he can fill in at right back. He's, he's he gives you depth uh, that you need. Whereas a guy like Awusu, as much as he fits the system, it's kind of that position or nothing. And you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be keeping around guys that you, that aren't necessarily flexible to the roster. Russell Tybert's going nowhere. That's fine. He's the club captain. He's Canadian. He's been around at this point. You're keeping him, whatever. It's going to come down to a Wusu Bikel, just because I mentioned it's, it's easy with, uh, with Baldissimo Metcalf to get loaned. It's going to come down to a Wusu Bikel and it's going to be interesting to see who goes. I don't know who you have kind of as, as your guy on the out. Well, first Sam, the, the issue is that, um, you know, because the, the Whitecaps did, we still don't have, you know, official transfer data on this, but the Whitecaps did spend a significant amount on Bikel. So I can't imagine that they're, they're eager to let him go at a, at a point where it would probably be a, a sell low proposition. And that makes me think that Leo might actually be the guy that in terms of his market value and, and what they paid to bring him in might be the easier one to sell on at the moment. And Bikel, they'd maybe be eager to keep around for another year. But I, I just, I still don't know if, does another year make him more valuable in Vanny's system? Probably not. So I mean, it's interesting. I wanted to say about the the midfield overall that it kind of flips the script from every other spot in the roster. Uh, This is one where they've got loads of depth. Like there's there's plenty of depth options. You don't have to worry about it. You're looking for maybe that one big upgrade piece, which is kind of kind of the opposite of everywhere else in the field. So uh, it's definitely interesting. I just don't see Bikel in this system at all. And that would be why I would say he's the one that moves on. But I can see your points about why Leo, because of the lack of versatility and because he had some success near the back end of the season, that might be the easier guy to move to a to a new home. Yeah, I think ultimately if I'm... So I guess there's always a scenario where they both return and this is all for naught. But I just assuming we're, we're going to operate under the pretense that guys, some, some guys are going to leave. We, we've kind of established like every year there's turnover in yeah, MLS. No matter how successful an MLS team is, uh, no there's matter how, how happy they say they are, there's always turnover. And there's always a little bit more than you think there's going to be. There's guys going to come in. There's guys going to come out. That's why we're trying to establish here right now with who's going out. I think we've established there's very likely some movement at goalkeeper, maybe one or two uh, at center back, definitely some, one or two at fullback. I think in midfield, assuming there's also movement there. I think Abusu makes the most sense just because like the, the point you brought up about Mikel is very you know true. I think it's the reported fee ended up being something over like a million for him, which well, is just I think even even in the two region and something that I hear in the back of my head every time we, we talk about players going coming out, and we, we had this discussion several times about Leo Usu when he wasn't playing at all, how Axel Schuster said that he would make a proposal when looking to acquire a player, not only about why they fit the team, but how they were a good financial investment. And so hearing that in my head and thinking, oh, you're, you purchased Bikel for upwards of, of $2 million and you're going to sell him for what would very obviously at this point be much less than that. I think that's very hard for the club to reconcile. And, and that's why I think ultimately Owusu might be the guy. 
I just think Owusu will have value. I think he had a fantastic end of the year. He's young. You know, he's, he's, he's got a, you know, decent pedigree. I think it would just, it would make sense to, to sell high. The nice thing is you can sell him internationally. You can sell him in MLS. I think there'd be the in, interest for, for him as a number eight, a number 10. Uh, hopefully, hopefully whoever buys him doesn't play him as a number six. It's not his position, but uh, yeah, I think Owusu just, it just makes the most sense. And that's not a slight against him. I, again, I'll, I'll preface by saying I'd love to see Owusu back in 2022 playing for the Whitecaps. I'm happy that he finally got the chance that he so long deserved and he looked so good in that role and kind of showed why we'd, we'd kind of been hyping him up and why, or at least, you know, I've been hyping him up and why I'd liked what I'd seen from him at training. It was finally nice to see him show that, but it's just unfortunate that he showed it now at a, at a position where there's number crunch. Cause heck, even I was looking Pedro Vite, more of a number 10. He also played as a number eight in Ecuador. And maybe for all we know that, Pedro Vite is this this young DP we talk about. It's, it's Pedro Vite. We just don't know it. Maybe the midfield next year is Caio Vite, uh, you know, Gold. And yes, maybe it's not as defensive as you hope, but hey, maybe that'll just mean a little more defensive responsibility for Gutierrez and Brown and they make it work. So either way, I just think, yeah, my, there's if there's going to be a guy going out of, out of all this, obviously uh, we'll talk about it in a bit with the loanies, potential loanies, Metcalf and Baldissimo are obviously options, but Awusu seems like a guy that unfortunately the numbers game isn't playing in his favor, but that leads us to up front where we've got also more questions about the, well, the roster. I'm just going to say we should do, let's just do one position group very quickly. That's its own in its own right. And that's attacking midfielder number 10. And I think we're oh, going to yeah. go Ryan Gold, Pedro Vite. Cameron Habibula. Uh, oh, and don't forget Ryan Raposa. Ryan Raposa. I was going to put him at, at winger, but I think those three Well, there are, is no wingers, so I'd honestly put yeah, him at the number 10. Formally. But. but sure, I mean, you know, you, you've got your starter. There's there's no discussion there. We we don't need to get into, uh, you know, praise for Ryan Gold, but you've, you've got that intrigue in Pedro Vite, um, his potential versatility. He could play in a number of spots, but also if Gold's away, if if Gold gets called up to the to the Scottish national team at some point, if he's injured, whatever might happen, there's a lot of intrigue there. Kem Habibula is this his season to get a loan to finally you know escape the doldrums of the the under twenty three squad or to to actually get some playing time for the Whitecaps? Who knows? And then yeah, shout out to a guy like Ryan Raposo who you know in a similar kind of like a Pat Metcalf, you just is the a future beyond you know the bottom end of the depth on this roster yeah i mean i won't dive into too much again Raposo and habibula just because we'll have a section quickly where we but go through all our potential v- loans Vite and gold really as as yeah. a one-two punch at number 10 no problems there i think as i'll kind of i'm hinting here i think habibula and Raposo will be loaned just because yeah there's no point in being behind both of white both caps of those. fc or chelsea uh <laughs> corporate needs to find the differences between these two pictures oh yeah so i think <laughs> moving up front then that leaves us two forward positions um looking here on the roster there's for some reason this is just such a this isn't a side i'm just more looking for some reason russell tybert's listed as a forward on the whitecaps website i just found that funny he's not obviously i just found that really funny is that but, when uh, did they do that when he was playing on the wing when like Guti and him would swap back and forth. Maybe, maybe that, maybe they just never change. Maybe they never change it from his USL days back like a decade ago. So who knows? But anyways, that is the, the forward group, obviously Brian white, Luke's Cavallini, toss St. Ricketts, 
uh, on the roster. Then obviously there's Theo Bear, David Egbo, also Diver Caicedo and Christian Dahomey. So quite a, quite a loaded group for just two spots. But I mean, Sam, I'll let you start for, for, for this one. I mean, or at least I'll just say other than Dahomey, who is a lock just because he's a wingback option, he's a forward option. Dahomey, you can, heck, honestly, you can play him at a number 10. Dahomey's going nowhere. He's your... He's a perfect player. Otherwise, though, everyone else, honestly, there's no guy you're looking at other than Dahomey and also Caicedo there's, that is safe, really. You're looking at any of these guys. They're all options to be moved or, or whatnot or stay. Well, okay, I'll start this out by saying that I think one of – if Annie Sartini's got a, got a whiteboard in his office and he's sitting there thinking about, you know, what do I really need to, to put some time into this offseason? What do I need to think about – not in terms of acquiring players, but in terms of players within the roster that maybe through the chaos of this magical run, he didn't have time to think about. You know, Deber Caicedo's been a natural winger. Vanny Sartini's system does not have natural wingers. Number one on the board is how do I get more out of Deber Caicedo? How do I make a role for him in this team? And, and that might just be off the bench. That might not be in a starting role, but I think Vandy's got to have some idea coming into 2022 of, you know, how do I, in, in a system with no wingers, how do I bring out the best talents of, of this winger? So I think Deber's got to be around. You don't, you don't move on from him just because your system isn't perfect for him. I think you can, you can find a way to make that work. As you said, Dahomey, um, you know, everything other than keeper, he's, he's game for. So uh, maybe not center back. I don't know how the aerial prowess would be there. But, you know, he's, he's capable and willing at all those spots. And I think you have to almost pencil him in as a starter just because he can kind of do whatever you need him to. Brian White, I mean... Uh, well, why stop the magic now? I think he, you have to bring him back and at least give him another season. If if you decide that beyond next season it's it's not a good fit and the magic is gone, that's fine. But uh, certainly interesting. Lucas Cavallini, you know, I'm not just just for the sake of being counterculture. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that now is a good time to part ways. I mean, he's got an off season to get healthy. He's gonna want to be part of this Canadian men's national team, even if it's in a depth role. Um, and he's still a good striker. There's there's some things you have to iron out for sure, but uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the easy solution is to say just cut ties, move them on, you know, bring in Egbo, bring in Theo Bear, and, and kind of striker it by committee, at least in terms of a target man, an aerial threat up front. But uh, I don't know what they do with Cavalini, to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely conflicted. <laughs> I'm in a very similar boat. I mean, first of all, this is completely maybe to distract myself from the all the thinking I have to do here. Just uh, completely you know, imagine a, a front two of Christian Dahomey and Dybrook Caicedo playing in front of a midfield three of Kyle Gald and Vite. It, it would be very fluid. I would love to see that. But anyways, assuming I think you keep White. I just think you do. Like you say, the nice thing about White is it's not like he was a flash in the pan. Whereas Yes, he's probably not going to go on a run where he scores like whatever it was, like 10 or 11 goals in 14 games next year. But he fits the system. He worst, presses. worst case, he is a slightly expensive backup striker who's proven within the system. Yeah. Worst, worst I, case scenario. I, worst case scenario, he drops to the bench 
And at least unlike Lucas Cavallini, you're not paying him $6 million to be on the bench or you're paying him one point whatever mil a year plus the $6 million fee. You get what I mean. You're not paying him egregious amounts of money to sit on the bench. I mean, you know, I think for, for White, you keep him just because it makes sense. I think ultimately what I would do is, again, you maybe you end up keeping to St. Rick. It's in a very limited role just because we, we didn't mention, I think you, you keep him around because he's, he's valuable to the club. He's nice to have in a depth role. What I'd kind of say is if your your striking trio this year was White, Cavallini, Ricketts, ideally you'd like to see White, say a Theo Bear and, and Ricketts be your, your trio this year. Like you mentioned, that kind of striking by committee. Um, I think Egbo might just need to go on loan for another year. Uh, I think honestly, Theo Bear might, I think it's going to be interesting. I think one of the two should come back. One of the two should go. I think ultimately what it is, first choice, you go Barry. He's Canadian. He's your homegrown. You've, you've, you've had him in your system. Uh, you know, you've seen him play for your team. Sorry, Sartini's familiar with him. Bear's your first choice. But say there's an offer for him in Norway to go play in the first division next year. For his sake, I take it. You know, because if, if, you, if you know here he's going to be a platoon option and ham cam, wants to keep him around on their team next year, you take it 100%. Playing in the Norway First Division, it got Sam Adekubi onto the national team radar, could get him on the national team radar. If there's a year where you want you, you want to look out for guys' national team interest, and this actually is a segue into Cavallini as well, it's in 2022. Canada, we have to you know realize Canada basically at this point is two or three wins away from being in the World Cup this year, later or later next year. In less than, in less than a year, Canada could be at a World Cup if, if there's a year you don't want to screw guys with potential national team aspirations over, it, it, it's this year. So if Bear gets an op- offer to go to Norway, I'm sending him there. Uh, Ham Cam seemed to love him. He seemed to love Ham Cam. It seemed like a very good fit. Even if, you know, maybe the goals weren't always there. He Every time I watched, he was he was doing a lot of good good things off and on the ball. Seems like a good fit. Egbo, you keep him. If not, you loan him. And then it leads you to, obviously, Cavallini. Because obviously I mentioned that we're keeping Caicedo, Dahomey, and Ricketts. Cavalier is a tough one because on one hand, this, this he has every reason to want to have the best 2022 ever because he's been in the Canadian fold for a few years now. But he's he's kind of at this point where you you, you got E.K. Ugbo who's looking fantastic. Daniel Jebison's all of a sudden looking quite good. And if Canada can poach him, you know, Liam Miller scoring goals. You got you got Jonathan David. You got Kyle Aaron. There's not a lot of spots at striker for Lucas Cavallini. It's not like, say, we'll say at the beginning of this year when it was really just Laren and Cavallini and David. And now it's all of a sudden it's Laren, Cavallini, David, you know, Ugbo, maybe Jebison, yada, yada, yada. There's options. Cavallini needs to play. So it's I guess it ends up, you know, if you're the Whitecaps, you end up wondering, is is that motivated version of himself? Is that a player in a Whitecap shirt? Does that mean a loan? Does that mean a sell? It just, it just means this. the thing is with the sale is it's, it feels like you're going to lose money. Yes, I think, like we mentioned before the show, is transfer marks 2.7 mil evaluation of Lucas Cavani or whatever it is. Is that fair? Probably not. He's worth up upper, you know, four, maybe five mil to, to a club, but if you're the white cast, is, do you really want to take a one or two million loss on a player who you're just selling so low on? But is there room for him at the white caps? And that's where I wonder, you know, I, we talked about it before. The loan makes sense from the white caps perspective, but it also it almost could make sense for, for Cavalini to go on a loan to I'm thinking Mexico or Central or, or, or no, or Mexico or South America. 
for a year, not just for, uh, you know, not just to get a fresh start, but also for his national team perspective to play in the top league, just get playing again. It might be worth it for him, not only the white caps to get on a loan, you get a fresh start. And then a, in a year you get a chance to reevaluate. Okay. Maybe Brian White's faded off. Do you want Cavalini to come back? You, you, you've made that option. So I think, it's obviously not going to be easy to loan out a DP player. So I'll put that with that caveat. I just feel like selling him on at this point, isn't going to be a move that will pay off in the future. Unfortunately is because as bad as Kevin, he's been for the white caps. It's just, it's not the right. It just feels like it's going to be the, the wrong way to deal with the $6 million asset. Yeah. I mean, my fear is just that, that, that value is gone. And that I, I don't know, even if let's say Lucas Cavallini scores 12 goals in MLS next year, are you recouping all that value? Are you selling him as a 29 year old for, for 5 million? I'm, I'm just not sure that that value is a hundred percent back. Now that's not necessarily a problem, but it maybe means that the, if you're worried about, you know, recouping that value or getting money out of that asset, maybe just playing him and riding it out is the best solution. But I, I don't know what the, the conversations are going to be like this off season with the player. Like what does Cavill want? Does Cavill want to be a starter and bag goals for the Whitecaps next year? Or does he want a different opportunity? I think ultimately maybe the decision rests with him in that sense where the Whitecaps might be, con- Vanny Sartini might be content, you know, if he's fit and if he's got the right attitude to just kind of, you know, deploy a one, two option at striker. But how does the player feel about his national team chances? What does he want to do? I feel like that's still a, a huge part of this. But overall, yeah, you have to like the striking options that the Whitecaps have, um, the diversity of attacking options they have. There's a lot Vanny can play with within the system. And I like your point that, man, if Hamcam's knocking and says they like Theo Bear back next year, I think that's something you have to ride out. You have to let him take that opportunity. Whereas... You know, someone like David Egbo, it's less, you know, murky or clear. And, and if you can bring him back and at least, you know, get him some minutes, that seems okay. But for, for Bear, I think it's really crucial that if he has this opportunity to take a step forward, you you let him do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it would be big on so many fronts for Bear. And it's just, just going to be, yeah, it's going to be tough for, for, for Cavallini to, to figure out his personal situation. I mean, what, what, does he want to to do next year but i mean on that note i guess we'll we'll learn more about about cavalini we're going to take a quick break here to 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 share a quick word from our friends over at macy sports and then we'll catch you back in in a minute here in the in the virtual world hey guys third sub here we're just taking a quick break from the show to shout out our friends over at macy sports located in north vancouver near the iron workers memorial bridge make sure to head over to north van to check out macy sports if you're in the soccer field hockey rugby you name it they have it and if you say you listen to the third sub at checkout, you can get a nice little discount as well. So make sure to head over to Macy Sports for the latest in soccer kits, boots, holy gloves, socks, pretty much anything you can think of needing at this time of your soccer season. So without further ado, make sure to check out Macy Sports and we'll get right back into our show.
All right, and we're back here for, I guess, not necessarily the second half, more the back end of, of the show, but still lots to talk about here. We, we kind of dove into, you know, a lot of roster permutations, kind of gives you an idea of that, even though the Whitecaps aren't, it's not going to be like, say, 2019 offseason or even 2020 offseason where it was just, it was chaos. There's still a lot of moves to, to think about if you're the Whitecaps, but uh, kind of that pretty much rounds up most of the roster, I think. At least all of this, obviously, assuming Vanny Sartini is back, sounds like he will be. Um, for all we know, there'll be a new manager, and I'll completely throw, um, you know, a wrench into to, to all of those those plans. But uh, I mean, pretty much going down. I mean, do we want to either do we want to dive into some of the loanees, or do you want to dive into the wish list first and then dive into the loanees? Well, yeah, let's talk wish list because it sort of falls right off the back of us diving through every position and and really I, I there aren't a ton of big ticket wishes i i don't think i mean i think that it's just that one midfielder for the most part uh you know i guess maybe maybe you look for another striker depending on what you do at that position but i think i got to be honest it's really you try to use either the designated player spot or the, or the young designated player spot for that number eight to go alongside Cali Alexandre or, you know, to provide depth of that, like quality depth of that position, not just kind of platoon squad players, but, you know, guys you can really rely on. Because if your, you know, high-priced acquisition or Alexandre is to go out due to injury, you want you know, quality players in behind them, or you, you want to keep at least one of those top players on the field at, at all times, I would think, if you're going to consider yourself a, a team near the top of the Western Conference. So that's the one big position. Uh, and then, you know, I, I think in terms of domestic depth, but kind of quality domestic depth, if you can secure an Abzi or a Farsi at the at the fullback position, that's a that would do a lot just to kind of you know increase your attacking options there because it's it's obviously a position that Vanny values a lot so those would be the two spots really where I look at you know wish lists and think those are positions where you definitely want to make acquisitions but beyond that it's it's kind of wide open and and nothing's necessarily massively pressing I guess like we talked about you need to bring in another center back Uh, what variety that consists of is very much up for discussion still yeah, I think it's mostly. I'd say you need a young center back. I think you're, yeah, young center back. I'd say two young fullbacks. Um, I, I'd use that either that young DP or a DP spot on a midfielder, a top quality midfielder, and um, maybe just yeah, that's pretty much it up front. It's pretty, you know, unless if, if Toss Saint Ricus doesn't come back, maybe you get a veteran striker. But other than that, it's kind of my my wish list, pretty yeah. straightforward. Veteran striker easily acquired either within the league uh, from you know domestic options. It's it's really you know a, a pretty simple list, and uh, you know that that number eight, while not easy to acquire, I don't think is is as challenging or is as much of a a unicorn type acquisition as as a number ten would be. So. Not impossible voids to fill this offseason. So definitely, uh, 
you know, some encouraging signs. But but overall, the Whitecaps are going to need to get a handle on those international spots, and and that makes you know guys like Egbo, guys like Yasser Kamiri, um, definitely you know more more challenging guys to stick around just in, in terms of that nature, and and that's something we can maybe talk about here in the. Uh, the, you know, should they stay or should they go sort of lone window. Um, because as mentioned previously, the Whitecaps have got a lot of players all of a sudden out alone and lots of them coming back or at least some decisions to be made between them and the, the clubs that are loaned out to where they should go, uh, what they should do moving forward. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think, yeah, pretty much wish list. It's going to be interesting. I just feel like there's going to be a wrench we're not thinking of yet. So I don't know for There's there's always a surprise, right? I mean, you know, we we planned all of all of going into I wrote articles about going into 2021 how everything could be built around Ali Adnan and Bruno Gaspar and then we never even saw it once in a live match. So these kinds of things do happen. Yeah, so I'll throw out a few ideas out there just to 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 leave all the avenues open. I'm thinking either a veteran center back or a young DP center back. This could be something the Whitecaps possibly explore. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah. I mean, we talk about exposing those those market inefficiencies. Maybe they feel like center back's the spot they could do that. And it also depends who's available uh, to acquire, right? Like if you don't feel like there's someone that meets your profile at the number eight, then maybe that spot is best spent on a, on a center back. And, and that's the, uh, you know, that's the conclusion that you come to. I think that's a good shout. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I feel like that's something they could look in into. I mean, otherwise maybe we're given a bit of a surprise at fullback. Maybe they invest a, a decent chunk of no. a coin into a veteran fullback. They are actually quite young at the fullback position. Um, Otherwise, yeah, I think it's just I can't see some big splash at striker or something like that. So I think, uh, well, yeah, I think that pretty what much. What you're saying is play. Olivier Giroud is not uh, Vancouver Whitecaps mount. Yeah, I think uh, we're gonna write that one off, or you know, Mar- no Mario Mandzukic or you know Eden Jacko or something <laughs> random of that that ilk. But uh, I mean, yeah. Otherwise, we we, we mentioned the loans to stay on on track with with that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what, what ends up happening with kind of some of the loans. We already talked about David Egbo is going to be back. His loan expires. So does Theo Bear. But uh, I mean, yeah, also Derek Cornelius is gone for full season. But we'll just kind of roll through the other interesting ones here. First, Simon Coline, the, 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 the mysterious man. He, I mean, he made his debut hard to think what is it four years ago now and when he was a little 16 year old teenager now he's he's turned into a grown man playing against men in in the the, the dutch second division on young on psv's u23 team which ah, nice thing is about there it plays in a professional circuit instead of a u23 circuit but uh coline i might might we ever see him in a white cap shirt again i don't know i mean he hasn't necessarily been it seems like he's been getting limited minutes for that that Eindhoven side, not necessarily, you know, a, a 90 minute starter match in match out. It just doesn't seem like the desire on the player's end is, is very high to come back. So I feel like that predicates a lot, um, what his future is in Europe, what kind of team he ends up on. I don't know, but I don't feel like coming back and playing for the white cap setup is, is part of that picture. And at this point they've got a Pedro Vite who's, you know, has the faith of the club is going to be 
well ahead of someone like Kolite on the depth chart. I just don't see a fit at this point. So I think whatever happens, he he moves on rather than comes back. That's at least where I would be leaning. Yeah, no, I think I think Coline's just going to stick it out. I think it's just at number 10, especially now, there's not much room for him. I think he's had a good situation. Hopefully for his sake, he can break through. I think right now he's kind of been getting starts, but not hasn't really played more than 45 minutes. Hopefully he can break through. Just because it'd be so nice to, to, to see him in the PSV setup. It'd be good for his career. Canada needs number 10s. It would make just more sense for, for everyone, for him to stay. So I mean, I, I think, think worst case scenario, another team playing PSV or that young that young squad sees him, sees the potential and says, hey, we'd maybe like to acquire his services and he can he can move up the ranks overall in that league, even if it's not for PSV at the end of the day. So one way or another, I think there's there's a lot of potential there still for Colon. Yeah, no, I think that, that that makes the most sense. But otherwise, next up on the list is Damiano Pisile, another Whitecaps youngster who made his loan at the end of a season when he was, uh, you know, b- before he was even legal drinking age in, in places such as Alberta. So he's his loan is a bit more, he is a different than, or similar to, to Coline's as in it was a year through June 2022, also includes an option to buy that one's a bit more of an interesting one because he's a, he's more of a number eight, and he's been, I mean, he's been killing it over at Venezia. But the thing is, Venezia is a tough. Basically, for those who who don't know about the Italian youth system, it's very weird. As in, it's not like there's no U23 league like most leagues in Europe. So basically, it's it, Pasile, who is I think he's he just turned 19. He's in the U19 setup. So after next year unless they have a spot in their first team for him, there's nowhere for him to go in Italy, but you know, but they do have the option to purchase. He's been doing very well. He captains the U19 side. He plays number six and he scores hat tricks in games and scores. Yeah, so he's, he's, he's sort of, he's been bullying that league to be, to be honest. It's been unfair at times. Uh, so it's hard in that sense, a little bit to evaluate, right? Cause it's just, you, it's hard. Cause where does he go? Cause if is he sign, he's going to be in that tweener stage where, He'll be too good for U19 and also too old, but maybe not ready for first team. And it's, it's, it's just there's not that U23 transition option where it's either you get thrown into the fire and then you're good. But, I mean, what's – you know, is Venezia going to be willing to throw him in the fire? I mean, to give them credit, they've thrown Tanner Testman and Busio, uh, uh, Gianluca Busio into the fire. But are they even going to be in Serie A next year? You look at the table right now. They're 16th. They're they're – five points off the relegation zone. Are they going to survive? But maybe them going down could be a good thing for, for Pasile. Maybe coming up through a, a title-winning Serie B team and then getting you know integrated with Serie A team is the way to go. So I think Pasile might be the hardest one to rate just because I'd love to see him at the Whitecaps just because I, I, li- I really like his long-term potential. He seems like that sort of number eight, especially that one that would fit Vanny's system long-term. He's been playing in a double pivot for Venezia. It's just he, he finds himself in such a no man's land, yet such a good situation where right now it's great. But then in, in June 2022, there's going to be so many questions to be asked of where he ends up. I mean, I like it for, you know, Pasil, if, if for whatever reason they, you know, let's say the Whitecaps don't find their their ideal young designated player or you know, they, they just don't quite figure it out alongside Kyle Alshandre and all of a sudden midsummer comes along and 
Pasil's back and and there's an opportunity to fill into that spot. I, I think that, you know, maybe, you know, wacky, wacky predictions like we like to do in our pregame shows. Damiano Pasil and, and Kyle Alexandre are your, your midfield pivot late summer of 2022. I, I don't think it's impossible. I think it's unlikely, but given the struggles, you know, he, he just seems like he might not quite be ready for that jump, you know, maybe if if they can find a way to avoid relegation, especially, doesn't feel like there's a spot for him. In Italy, uh, the Whitecaps might present an opportunity. I don't know. We'll have to see. And and maybe it depends a lot on guys like Leo Usu and Genio Bakel. But uh, I'm excited about that one. I think of a lot of these guys, part of the lone army, Pasil's one, I, I actually have some, some sneaky faith that he might have a role for the Whitecaps going forward. What I like here about the Whitecaps loan strategy is that you look at a lot of these youngsters, you're excited about what where they end up. Like with Theo Bear, you're like, yes, he could help the Whitecaps, but if he ends up in Norway, great. That's if a Pasile, great spot, yeah. If Pasile can help the Whitecaps, great. If he ends up play, signing permanently for Venezia, not the worst place to be at a Serie A, Serie B team. Certainly financially, hopefully in terms of playing time. Similar with Simon Coline. I ended up in the Dutch first division, second division with PSV and their youth teams. Lost to like there. And uh, but it also we 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 we've kind of gone through the European based, you know, you know, I guess it's 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 a trio or no, it's a quad whatever the a quadrant, I guess we'll say, of Cornelius, Pasile, Coline, and and Bear. Obviously, we we touched into one of the domestic loans, Egbo. Here's the next one is Gianfranco Facciner, and he's such a tough one because he's in that he's in he's again he's in an interesting situation where he's just starting to get to an age where you'd start considering him for for first team minutes. He's obviously a center back. He's a bit you know he's a bit uh, that, sorry that position takes a little longer to mature, but he is he 19. He's going to turn 20 at the beginning of next year. But unfortunately for him, he just found himself at a strange loan where with San Diego loyal. He ended up on a very good team in the USL. He didn't play. He played like six games. And I, I think he only started one of them, if I'm not mistaken, if that he hadn't played enough. And it, it's just unfortunate where I don't think he's ready to get thrown in next year. He needs a, a full year of playing. Then I think in his age 20, 21 year, I'd consider giving him a shot. I think Facinari might, he's just destined for another loan next year. I think it's just his age, how this last loan went out. I think the Whitecaps need to be clear with him early. Don't wait till halfway through the season. Said he got a really fractured season where he didn't really play at the Whitecaps, but then he he ended up on loan to an established team that didn't really play him either because they were set in their ways. I think he needs a loan as soon as the season starts next year, just to and then he'll be a prospect for for twenty twenty three, I guess. In that case, I mean, yeah. Just to go out on a bit of a limb here, I mean, from chatting with. Frankie, like a couple days before he ended up being loaned out, I was just shocked at the whole. I mean, maybe he needs a new agent. I don't know, but the way he kind of imparted it to me was like, ah, I just I just go where I'm told, and and I feel like you know someone's got to be advocating for him and telling him that he needs to get some valuable minutes because yeah, if you're gonna be in this weird limbo where you know you're maybe a year away from from being a Facinari could very well be that number four we talked about, but he just, you know, only starting one match is not sufficient to kind of build that experience. So it's a shame he wasn't able to find a loan this year that 
had him playing meaningful starting center back minutes match in match out he needs that this year in order to uh in order to take the jump and then very well could be a starting center back for the white caps in 2023 but uh yeah someone's got to be advocating in his corner and and getting those minutes he he needs i still think that you know the cpl level as a center back, uh, that provides a terrific opportunity. There have to be some clubs that are excited about what he can bring to the table. So, uh, yeah, interesting one for Frankie. I don't know. It's uh, He's still got loads of potential. As you said, the center back position, they bloom a little bit later. I mean, heck, even, you know, not that Derek Cornelius is going to come back, but uh, Derek Cornelius and, and Fatchinari could be still center backs of the future for the white caps uh does that happen uh, it usually doesn't work out that way but there there's always an outside chance so it seems like another loan is imminent uh where that is what's the best fit still very much a question and i mean yeah who knows where that be i mean i'll, I'll throw something so out of left field right now just because i'm on twitter right now yeah. and i literally just stumbled upon a report that toronto fc defender Julian Dunn is being rumored to go to ham cam and I'm thinking Jan Franco Faccinari would make a lot of sense at a team like a ham cam if we're, if we're selling room. we're selling all the white cap center backs to Toronto well, no, well to ham cam I was thinking more oh, instead of I Dunn like, like more oh, okay I see you're, yeah, gonna, yeah. you're just gonna scoop in and replace okay yeah that's what my idea was but yeah I'm just throwing it out there anyways if it's Norway if it's USL if it's CPL Fashioner needs to be on a field next year. I just, I don't think he'll be at the white caps, but I think 2023 makes so much sense. And speaking, I guess, of I just, someone I'll who, just add as a final player, thing, because yeah. this, this fires me up for some reason, a player that I imagine would have had so much interest and it has such potential, how they ended up, you know, for lack of a better term, give term, giving him just a really bad loan opportunity where he didn't get any minutes at all i, I just don't understand that and it, it frustrates me a lot yeah i know i mean that's it he just he, he deserves a, a shot to and they waited so long to do it too they just let him toil away in obscurity and then send him out in a loan that didn't work out at all it was obscenely frustrating yeah no i think it's just it's just it's the situation you hate to see, but uh, I guess on a similar vein, I will skip over one name. We'll come back to him in a second because I want to stay on the theme of young center backs, Matteo Campania. I think his is a lot more straightforward. He is uber young, which uh, makes big difference. Obviously, he has the fact that uh, Mark DeSantos compared him to Franco Baresi, <laughs> but he is seventeen. He doesn't turn eighteen till July of next year. I mean, a you want him alone. But man, he, he can't be excited, help but be excited about his potential. I watched him a few times for York this year. He was starting regularly for them despite being thrown in a, a later on loan. I think that loan has to be re, re, renewed if you're if you're both parties. York needs center backs. Matteo Campania is an excellent center back. Okay, he's 17. Like, how often do you see a 17 year old? It just looks so composed at the pro game every time I watched him for York. So, you know, not much else to say there. I think if you're the White Caps, if, if you can start him for 2023, that would be, I think if, yeah, if you get him by 2023, which I think at that age, he'd be turning 19, you can get two or three quality years out of him in Salmon for a lot of money. And I think that would be huge on, on so many fronts. So I think Matteo Campania 
lot to like that. I think you, if you're Axel Schuster, you're starting already to negotiate with York for a loan for next year or say another club that, that in the CPL that fits him. Well, it's a player that uh, the former director of the academy, uh, director of methodology is going to have a lot of knowledge of the player too, right? And I'm, I'm with you. I was going to say it if you didn't. I think you got to run it back with, with York. It, it seems like a good fit for them. They've been struggling for good center back play for a long time and he performed really well for them and is only going to continue to grow. Um, especially, I like that setup with, with Gus McNabb and potentially a new coach in there. I think that you know, York could be on the rise, so that's exciting. And then long-term for the Whitecaps, uh, that looks like a good spot as well. You know, Fashionary needs to find a setup like that, basically. Uh, but super, super encouraged about uh, the future for him, and, and that seems that seems like a no-brainer. Hopefully, that is what ends up happening for, for 2022. And then one, one other low, no, no-brainer before we go into the fun one. Isaac Bomer, he comes back on loan from Pacific. I think you honestly just send him back. If if the situation remains the same, if Cal Irving sticks around, you have Boomer or Boomer, you have Boomer try and get 10, 15 games, uh, you know, in, in depth and in, in relief. He's young. He's I think he's 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 just about to turn 20. You know, from what I saw at Pacific, he's got a good frame. He just needs to more get confidence with with his ball handling, his ball, you know, kicking. But he's he's kind of got all the tools. I think training regularly, playing a bit with Pacific would make a lot of sense. Yeah, he just turned 20 last, uh, or I guess a week and a half ago. So yeah, I think that one's pretty straightforward as well. You know, 20, very young for goalkeeper. Maybe in 2023, he could be an option for the Whitecaps, depending on how Hassal's growth go, what goes, what happens with Crepo. You know, he's a good option to have, uh, keep tabs on for, for the long term. Yeah, you just need some more sort of accessible experience for him because being third or fourth on the white cap step chart doesn't really do a ton. And uh, if this system in Pacific, you know, is, is set up well for him and, and he's happy, then no reason not to run it back. And, and hopefully he continues to grow. Because, yeah, we did see whether it was for Pacific, whether it was for the under-23s, just decision-making, some stuff that isn't shot-stopping, still needs some brushing up, but... Uh, the Whitecaps got a good goalkeeping setup. I'm sure someone like Yusuf Daha is still keeping tabs. So, uh, yeah, that that one's a bit of a, you know, goalkeepers mature a little bit later. You got to be patient. But uh, I like that for him, too. So let's have some fun. Yasser Kamiri. That's all I need to say. Oh, Two words. Loaned to San Antonio last year. Had probably what could best be described as a chaotic season. Played, suffered injury, nearly scored worldies. I mean, he, he had some moments where he was really good, but like Yasser Kamiri tends to be, you just, you don't know what you're going to get on a daily basis. But I think it's, it's for me, I think the writing's on the wall. So I'll be honest. I mean, I, I like Kamiri's potential. I think he's always had potential, but now but he's 24. I also, I also liked PC's potential. That hey. doesn't mean that he's a good fit for an MLS I, roster. I, I mean, I don't know what you saw in terms of potential on PC. What I saw was just obvious talent. First of all, the left like, foot it, was magical. That's what I mean. Like, the <laughs> PC was it was what you could see. There wasn't with with Kamiri, it's what you can't see, which is so frustrating. Because I mean, with Kamiri, it's a bit of both. Because what you can see is a six foot four frame, you know, fantastic passing ability, but also what you can't see is decision making and. And knowing where to be and just knowing his frame, not getting injured, 
and that's the thing with Kamir. What, what's uh, unfortunate with him is that he's so much of what you know, so much of what is exciting about Kamir is things that just aren't there yet. It's potential, and that right now he's 24, going to turn 25 next summer. I think if you're the Whitecaps, is he going to be a long-term piece? Because unless he's the guy you want to bring in as your number four next year, there's just no room for him. I, I think in the roster, unfortunately, um, you know, you just look at all the the numbers game. He's international. Uh, is is he going to stay healthy the whole year? It's just it, it doesn't really make sense. And I think it, it's I don't even think you loan him. I think you're just going to have to sell him straight on or trade him or try and try and recoup some sort of value for him. And I guess if you have to loan him just because he has another year on his contract, you do it. But I think the writing's on the on the wall for Kamiri unfortunately. But I think if the right team makes a move for him in the USL or heck even at the right MLS team, he could be a bit of a difference maker. Again, the talent's there. It would just take the right coach to get it all out of him. I just think for the Whitecaps, if you're going to contrast, say, him and Campania, who's like seven years younger, Canadian, you know, has honestly showed more at the professional level, uh, it feels like, than Kamiri, then you'd rather spend your money and your time on a Campania than a Kamiri. So I just think for the Whitecaps, it's not worth to pursue. But, hey, for the right team, he's, I think he, I still have the belief he could make an impact. It's just not going to be on the Whitecaps. Yeah, he seems destined for another run in in the usl and maybe that's where he fits best long term uh i don't know that's that one where that's one where there's always going to be some feeling that you know there was that lightning in the bottle that that was maybe missed out on and had things gone differently we could be talking about a different player right now but it it feels like you've gone too far down that road to to be able to walk it back Uh, i mean i don't know if anyone has the potential to kind of resurrect something that might be gone it, it's Vanny Sartini I, I could see him in that number four spot maybe having a resurgent campaign but I just every bone in my body the gut feeling says that it's it's time to move on don't don't tease me like that don't give me yeah. ideas I mean hey maybe if, if maybe Jake if... Nerwinski if Christian Gutierrez can play center back if those guys can be successful in a back three like why couldn't Yasser Kamiri come in and maybe have some success? I'm not saying. I'm just saying. But, but in all seriousness, all I, I'm saying I do think he moves on. For me, it's just unfortunately is his passport and the fact that it means he's an international. Yeah. If if he somehow picked up a green card last year, all of a sudden I'd be a lot more open to the idea yeah. of him staying. It's just is he worth a, as an international spot at the beginning of the Mark DeSantos reign? Yes, it was worth taking a punt on him. Now, not so much. You got better internationals. You you may as well give a shot to, again, I guess, the name I can just think of throwing out, a Cal Montgomery over a Yasser Kamiri, if you're, or even your, you know, your own guys in a Facinieri or a Campania. just doesn't make sense for it anymore. It was a worthwhile investment from the Whitecaps. I mean, it would have been nice had they known that his knee was basically non-functional before they, they, that, that whole knee situation happened to him, but... It was worth the shot. You move on. Lastly, though, to round up all this loan talk we have here, we've made it through our wish list. We've made it through the loanies coming back. We made it through the, the Whitecaps players coming or not coming back next year. There's a few players left. We hinted at it. Potential youngsters who might head out on loan. So basically the guys we haven't talked about yet, Patrick Metcalf, Ryan Raposo, Cameron Amibula, Michael Baldissimo, Thomas Assal. Do we just want to quickly roll through where, where you think each of those guys are going to end up next year? 
Yeah, I mean, let's start with Pat Metcalf. I just I don't know what to do with Pat at this point because, you know, he's he's always attractive as sort of deep in the roster depth at, at the midfield position, but much like a Bakel, really, there's there's not a lot of room for a number six, and uh, and and that makes his role even more curious. I mean, maybe this is another guy that's destined for a switch to the center back position. Uh, I don't know what Vanny Sartini might be might be cooking up in the off season, but we've been saying Pat Metcalf to the CPL for a long time. I, I don't know where it's going to go, but um, I'm curious to find out. I honestly don't have a good prediction. I could I could see him playing at center back for the Whitecaps next year. I could see him in the CPL. I could see him on loan in the USL. I, I really I don't know to be honest. I think for the Whitecaps, honestly, you want to keep him. I just think from his sake, he might want to go get minutes just because... You can, you uh, can pin lot. that tweet, basically, for every time we've talked about Pat Metcalf, right? That's it. It's just the, a lot of... The thing is with Pat Metcalf, what's unfortunate about him is he got burned by what people could see of him this year. And yes, there were some games where he struggled, but also he wasn't you know thrown into the best of situations. He was thrown in at... Again, center back against the best offensive team in the league or one of the best offensive teams. Yeah, of course he's going to struggle in those games. I just felt like some of the criticism towards him was unfair just because, you know, he's he's a young, he's a Canadian. Yeah, he just turned 23. It's still young for MLS. Um, he's good depth. He comes at a good price. If you're the Whitecaps, you want to keep that. He can play eight, six, you know, fullback apparently, center back. That's the kind of guy you want to keep around. It's just if you're Metcalf, you're 23. You haven't really played in what three seasons now because of how you know you've, you've been bouncing in and out of the lineup. There weren't any second teams. Um, he hasn't really played in three years. Now he's he's about to age out from the U23 team. It just might not be worth it for for him at the Whitecaps. Uh, you know to stick with the Whitecaps. I think. I guess if he if he has an assurance that he's going to be a very key depth contributor once again, you stick around. But if it's kind of kind of be like the end of the year where he wasn't even making the match day squad is, you know, it might be worth it for him to go be a star in the CPL kind of kind of reminds me of the Schmidt Shum, you know, situation last year, where as a guy was, he's good. You like a lot about his game. It's just, there wasn't room for him at Montreal. I think it's kind of a similar, you know, scenario with, with, with Pat Metcalf and the white caps where you, you like his game. It's just, is there room for him at the white caps? Not necessarily. So I think Metcalf, it just might make sense to loan him and then, you see, or, or maybe you, you sell him or you loan with an option to buy and just and see and go from there, just because with the white caps, two midfielders, where way things are trending, it might not make sense. Although they probably would like the depth because hey, cheap domestic depth can't be you can't discount the value of that. It's just for a player of Metcalf's age, he's not in that 27-28 where he he'll he'll be resigned to to sticking with an MLS paycheck and 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 being a depth piece. He still has an age where you want, you know, especially a late bloomer like him. Like we have to remember this, a guy who due to injuries, he had to go through the university path and then signed as a homegrown quite late. So he is kind of at a position where he'll believe he's a late bloomer. You can see that, you know, you just watch him at training. You can see he has those characteristics. He just needs an opportunity and that might be elsewhere. So I think he's a candidate for sure to get loaned. Okay. Well, let's move to Ryan Raposo. This is a guy I'm similarly a bit flummoxed about, uh, Obviously, you know, it's great that you've got a super draft pick on a, you know, he's a Canadian, he's a domestic player, 
because he's part of Generation Adidas, his his price tag is a little bit higher than most. Uh, the Whitecaps, they don't necessarily need a ton of winger depth, but he, he does provide that. He also provides, as we mentioned, potential depth at the number 10 position. He's got tactical versatility, but another guy that, you know, like Pat Metcalf is approaching that age where he really needs minutes. So uh, could be another lone candidate, but also could provide valuable depth, depending on how you feel about it. Yeah, no, it's 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 going to be, I think with Repost, I mean, to, to go to your earlier point, I think he doesn't count on the cap as long as he's Generation Adidas. He just costs them actual real money, of course. I think, for again, for his sake, it's one of those where, it's going to be a lot of the, a theme for a lot of these young players. It just might be worth it for him to move on. And for the white cap sake, it also probably worth it to, to move on. They've got their number tens. There isn't really room for wingers. He's, I think he's, he's, he could do a lot of damage in the CPL and go from there. Cause I think, yeah, you look back, I don't think it's, he's just been unfortunate. He's had that whole Daryl DK trope following him where again, I'll say to I'll say, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Daryl DK would not, if he was Daryl DK was drafted by the Whitecaps, like he'd probably be, you know, he wouldn't be where Daryl DK is right now. Like it just wasn't, it didn't make sense for the Whitecaps to go after him. They went after Raposa, which was a smart decision at the time, just didn't give him the opportunity. I think for his sake, it's it's probably best to, to move on and, and go on loan. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, I just have to see there. I mean, obviously, you want, you want the best for these guys, but it's tough when they, you feel like guys like, Metcalf and Raposo are sort of in the same spot they were when last season started. And that's, you know, you want to be progressing rather than, than being stagnant. And I mean, let's talk, we'll talk a little bit about someone who's in a similar position then and, and someone who maybe didn't have as big of an impact this year as, as some would have hoped. And that's Michael Baldissimo really didn't find a place in Vanny Sartini's squad at the end of this year. Uh, one of my last interactions really with Mark DeSantos actually uh, prior to the Pacific match and him being fired was chatting about Baldy and about how he, he has that quality and, you know, he could be, could be a world beater, but he just doesn't always stay engaged in matches. Doesn't necessarily have that high motor that you want. I mean, especially in a, in a two man pivot in the midfield. So he's got the, the 50 yard, passing abilities caught a lot of unique tools but uh can they be used in sartini's system what's his future you know either with the white caps or in mls more broadly i don't know it seems like someone that was going to take a big step this year and we we didn't really get that for a number of factors so uh i don't know i mean he he feels beyond it's not a guy that's going to go to the cpl uh so i don't know what you do with him to be honest yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I think he's 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 MLS quality for sure. I think he's yeah. definitely of the the guys on the list, other than maybe Cameron Abibula, who we'll get to in a second, and obviously Thomas Hassan in terms of opportunity. I think honestly, yeah, but Baldissimo is the most MLS ready of them all. Technically, it's just position, it's it's engagement. I personally would like to see him go on a European loan, maybe, just because I feel like the technical ability he has would be very suited to that European level like uh, finding the right opportunity of course but i don't know where what kind of opportunity that would be uh, be like but i think it would be interesting to see him prove himself in europe just because he he has the ability but again for the white caps looking like an odd man out which is unfortunate 
because he he has the skills to 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 offer something just system wise it's, it it doesn't really make sense for the white caps right now yeah i think that's where i'm at where you'd, you'd like to see him evolve and progress and it just doesn't feel like the setup is is best suited for him here and yeah how how quickly things change because i think that going into the season there was a lot of optimism that baldy was going to be a guy to build around but yeah let's talk about cam habibula the last of the the bunch here i mean we already kind of touched on hassal so I, I don't think we need to bring him up again but but cam obviously sort of you know leading that that under 23 squad when they did get back playing matches and and having an impact there and and you know always being notable at that level but the the question is can he translate it straight to the mls level and and you know is there some kind of intermediate option needed there maybe he can come in and and be a sub performer next year we'll have to see but uh yeah Alex I'm curious for your thoughts on you know would you like to see him go on loan would you like to see him just just stick with the main squad what what do you think would be best for his potential I think I'd like to see him stick around that's what I was thinking too I think it makes most sense just because the U23 league staying next or it starts up next year and I think if you look at, at Cameron Habibula, I'm just gonna make sure he he's eight, he just turned 18. He's gonna be playing against guys up to five years older than him. I think that's a good test, and then you can kind of integrate him into the first team with all the other guys. They're kind of all above 20, and it, they're kind of at a point where they just need any sort of regular minutes. Whereas a guy like Habibula, I think the U23 level is that perfect where he's good enough where he'll be able to compete against those guys. Well, he's going to be a a feature player in that league and, you know, really get put through the ringer against some, some guys who've, you know, are going to give him tough opposition, but he'll also be able to have a lot of success. And I think that's a good balance for him. And what's nice is that he'll be still in Vancouver. If he's doing well, you can call him up. He'll be training with the team regularly. If he's doing well, you can call him into match day squads. You can call him up for the Canadian championship. I think out of all of them, Habibula, that makes the most sense for him. Honestly, I, I didn't even think of that. I think maybe Campania as well could be an option for, for that sort of role. Maybe Fashionary, but he's just a bit closer to the age where you want him to play a full season elsewhere. But I think that option, we have to remember that it's there that for, for some of these youngsters to, to play in the U23 league, get tested regularly against men, but also still train with the first team, still be open for, for options. And I think Cam Habibul is definitely one I'd want to see there. I think maybe now that I think about it, Campania, if alone to say like a York doesn't work out, I'd love to see him in that role. If not, there's a few youngsters who I think deserve to be promoted from the academy that, that could also fill that role. So I think Cameron Habibul, I think he'll, I, we, he'll probably stick around a Vancouver shirt next year. And I think that's an exciting prospect for, for, for white caps and, Canadian fans alike. Yeah, it's it's worth noting that that's hopefully going to have a huge impact on. It doesn't help guys like Ryan Raposo and Pat Metcalf at this point, but it does really help those at the 15, 16, 17 year old age groups right now that are going to have that league to play in and strive towards moving forward. So I'm I'm really excited about that. And Cam's just on the young enough end where it can still have a really good impact for him. Yeah, no, it, it's certainly it's going to be interesting to see how that that league plays a role. But it's it's long it's long overdue, and it's going to. I think what we're going to see is it's going to be huge for academy tweener guys who are like, like think of it's going to be huge for guys 
like a Raposa or Metcalf when they were first entered the white caps. I think that's what they were sorely missing. Cause you could tell they both, they, I think they all did all of these names on here, other, even camera, they all did stints with the U23 team. The only problem was the U23 team was kind of, I don't want to say traveling circus cause that makes it sound like it's a, a joke, but that's no, kind but of what it ba- was. Basically non non-existent in a competitive sense for yeah. the greater part of two and a half, three years. Yeah, no, if you, if you focus more on the traveling part of traveling circus instead of the circus part, that's what it was. It was it was a traveling circus where you, you wouldn't have any games for months and then you'd go on a four-game tour to Mexico or a four-game tour to Korea or, you know, you'd play friendlies against your local VMSL team. And as great as that is for some, you know, youngsters in the system, for guys who you want playing in the first team ASAP, that's not the system you want. Whereas now with this U23 league, it was a league full of guys who were trying to break into their respective MLS teams. So it's going to be competitive, hopefully. But what's nice is you can, you're not going on these tours to Korea, Mexico. So you're keeping them close to you and you're having them opportunities for them to train regularly with the first team. But also you're, you know, it's basically, it's more of a controlled development. Whereas before it was either you send them on this development tour or you sent them on loan where you have less control of their development I think it's going to be huge for the next level of guys like your Raposos who you draft or your Metcalfs who come out of the academy and are a bit older or your guys like your Habibulas and Baldissimos who are young phenoms, but you just don't have an opportunity to to play them in, in, in the in your lineup right away. So I think that U23 league is going to be huge for a lot of guys we're not talking about yet either. And I think I think one name as an example for net for 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 from last year, remember how good Kishian Francois was in the preseason? Imagine what he could have done in, in say, a U23 setup had he, he gotten the opportunity. And there's many more hang, hanging around there. So it's going to be interesting to see how it how it helps the Whitecaps. Yeah, we're definitely very excited for that. Uh, Alex, any final Whitecaps thoughts here? we got a couple Canada notes to wrap up the show. But, uh, yeah, we, that, that was sort of our, our general thoughts. You know, we'll, we'll have a lot more in terms of all the intricacies of the Whitecaps offseason. We're going to have a end-of-year awards show coming up as well, so be sure to stay tuned for that You know, in terms of third sub of the year, player of the year. We'll look back at some of our predictions. We'll, we'll dive into some of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, any final Whitecaps thoughts, Alex, before we, we dive into a couple Canada notes? I mean, yeah, I, I think that's it. I think we always say we've emptied the notebook. I think here we've we not only emptied this notebook, we've also found other notebooks, and I'll emptied it all out here. So if you're if – you're, Looking for Whitecaps talk after, you know, obviously you're not going to get it much on the local radio these days. Uh, the Canucks being absolutely terrible has ensured that's the case. But uh, if you're looking for Whitecaps chatter, this was certainly the episode for you. But lastly, we have some Canada notes. First, uh, on the men's side, Hamilton, Ontario. Be ready, everyone. The hammer. But the, the, we had the Ice Tecca. Now we have credit to mitch Turney, a recurring guest who will well, certainly have to bring on so at some point in the future for the iced cap over at tim horton's field in in hamilton january 30th it's going to be freezing but hamilton is the home of canada for that game against the u.s very exciting i think uh, obviously does vancouver deserve a game yes we're not going to sit here and pretend like it'd be nice to to have vancouver get a national team game vancouver shows up for the national team it's turf it's indoor it makes sense Unfortunately, travel is absolutely terrible at that time of year. Um, they have to start in Honduras. They're going to go to Hamilton, and then they're going to go down El Salvador. 
it just doesn't make sense to have to go to Vancouver in between. I think if it was a two match window and you started Honduras, finished in Vancouver, we would have seen Vancouver just the triple match day. Doesn't make sense. Plus adding to the strain. Uh, it sounds like reports this morning while we were recording actually came out that sounds like Canada is going to play Guatemala in Miami a few days before they head down to Honduras. So if you add the fact that for some guys say like a Max Crepo or uh, we'll say Mark Anthony K say he assumes he stays in MLS, that would mean he'd go from, Miami to, to, to San Pedro Sula to up to Canada down to El Salvador. It just doesn't make sense travel wise. So it's exciting. The stadium itself, it's officially, I think just over 30 K it can be expanded. I think if Canada's smart, they're going to get the expansion seats out because there is a winter class, our heritage classic game uh, a month later. There's also a great cup game a month earlier. Hopefully they can convince, uh, you know, it sounds like the great cup won't be played with expanded capacity, but hopefully it can maybe say, Hey, look, the NHL games in a, in a month, let's expand the capacity. We'll get a lot of fans. Hopefully not many of them are American. Hamilton is quite close to the border, but it's very exciting. It's, it's going to be a very exciting game. Man. Yeah. I don't, you know, despite our West coast, West coast inclinations, I don't really have any problem with this. I mean, it makes sense in terms of the travel. I also think it's great that, like it's better than BMO in the sense that you, you get to take it to another new environment, which I think is is fun for supporters and, and people watching alike. Also, the GTA is a very large area. I mean, I know that, you know, the GTA is not necessarily and Hamilton aren't exclusive, but you're you're taking it to another spot in southern Ontario. You're exposing it to people that maybe couldn't make it to BMO. Uh, I, I think that that's, that's exciting. And just, you know, continuing to tour it around as many places as you can feasibly while maintaining a little bit of that you know that weather edge and element that they enjoyed so much in Edmonton so yeah you want to see it in Vancouver eventually but it wasn't the right time and ultimately I think if it had to stay in the uh, in the Toronto area then taking it somewhere like Hamilton makes a lot of sense so not a lot more to say there excited for sure to watch uh, selfishly being you know time zones away actually having it on the east coast sort of preferable for me so uh i won't complain too much i'll just throw a few bones to the west coasters just saying i mean i'm already going to be in, in in toronto so i'm not complaining but if you are in vancouver in january go book a flight now because i think from abbotsford to hamilton it's something like a hundred bucks to go or something it can be if you book early it can be as cheap as a hundred bucks to go from abbotsford to hamilton so just say it's, it's is, not is the that worst. Is that return? Yeah, like if you wow. book for the, if you book early enough. If not, like it's still a hundred, hundred fifty. Like it's ridiculous cheap from Abbotsford to Hamilton. If you're if you're you know for Vancouver, it's not the worst option in the world. Versus if it was in I don't know Montreal or or you know another city like that. So I you know and and I'll throw another bone. We keep forgetting it. Nations League, Concacaf Nations League comes back in June. Canada has to host at least two games for that. It's possible they're drawn in a gr good group as well. There's a very real chance we see a Canada versus one of the Octo teams at BC Place in June in Nations League, potentially being used as warm-up games, knock on wood for Canada's uh, World Cup run later in the year. So while we, it, it sucks now that Vancouver won't have any games, some, some late June Vancouver games, imagine how well those would sell for Canada just saying it's or I guess it'd be yeah early late June so you know what don't close the door yet on Vancouver it's just not meant to be for this World Cup cycle I mean John Herdman has a point he mentioned it 
these games as much as it would be nice to get them all over the country at a certain point you just have to consider travel advantage making the world cup you don't want to ruin your, your chances at the world cup because you know four hours of extra plane travel made the difference so if john herdman the players believe that playing in hamilton ontario because you have to admit who in their right mind would want to choose hamilton ontario to play soccer in january over vancouver bc no one so if the players are choosing that it shows that there's clearly some advantage to be had based on how they're where they stand after eight games of qualifying you've trusted them so far in their decisions no problems with that and uh, i'll just be excited to see how that game goes absolutely uh so flipping it from the men's side to the women's side there was some some exhibition matchups uh you know, in in Mexico, we got to see a little bit of the women's team. It it wasn't in Vancouver. It wasn't in front of a you know a sold out house or a or a packed stand like we hoped. But uh, nonetheless, a couple talking points. I know Alex, you were tweeting up a storm. And uh, big shout out to Jordan Hoytema, who really I think had a had one of the best showings she's had for the women's national team, which was terrific to see. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a tough game if you're Canada. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to. I, I did, we didn't want to lead with that. Yeah, no, it was a tough game for Canada. They lose 2-1 to Mexico. As we kind of warned before the game, is Mexico is a quickly growing team, very good domestic league, very, very well coached. We saw that. They were super organized, caused all sorts of problems for Canada. Canada was missing a lot of regulars, experimenting with the formation. They switched kind of from their 4-3-1-2 to a 3-4-1-2. And mixed results in terms of defensively, they were fine, but offensively, they lost a lot of what they'd worked on previously. I mean, defensively, the goals, you look back, one was a very dubious penalty and the other one was a, a sloppy set piece. So I don't think the formation was a problem there, but offensively, it was no coincidence that when they switched back to the old formation, they were a lot, a lot better in, in attack, at least. And that's kind of what matters for Canada. They can defend no matter what position they play. Although I won't throw the 3-4-1-2 out yet just because I'd like to see what it looks like with, say, Ashley Lawrence at wingback and Janine Becky and, you know, Gabrielle Carl and some of the more attacking wingbacks they have. But they just didn't have the wingbacks for it on the day. It didn't, it didn't work out. But uh, on the positive side, Jordan Hoytema looked great off the bench, had an, uh, scored a f- fantastic goal, should have had an assist. Looked very, honestly, looked as, as much of a PSG player as she ever has in a Canadian shirt, that is. Otherwise, Chloe Lacasse has been calling for her to get minutes for a while. She makes her debut for Canada. Looks fantastic as well uh, down the wing. Lots to like with, with those two. That's kind of what you, you're hoping for these friendlies for Canada. It was, more, it was always going to be more experimental. You want to see some new faces. And I think it's positive that two new faces kind of stepped up there. And not say Hoytem was a new face, but uh, kind of a, a, a newer face in the sense that she was forgotten a bit in the Canadian fold. And then obviously Lacasse. There's a lot to like there. Yeah, like we said, going into it, I think, you know, the opportunity for for players a little further down the depth chart to make strong cases for themselves. And I think we saw that with those two. And so that's despite the result, uh, you know, this is a good time to good time to have results you're not so happy with, but to to have a good process. And it feels like uh, we we saw we learned some things about the team, both good and bad and that's that's always going to be valuable and and they're now more in a building stage than a performance stage so uh yeah uh, definitely excited for what's to come there but uh alex any final thoughts before we we sign off here uh, i mean canada white caps or otherwise i think that's again we, we really emptied the notebook on this episode 119 
we'll be back with uh with more the awards of course has to be done it's gonna be a fun episode hopefully you know maybe by by the end of this week or certainly next week it'll be up pretty pretty quickly so if you like that stay tuned it's gonna be a fun episode um but otherwise yeah it's gonna be interesting it's good that we did this now as as, as pressed as it is i think today the, as a recording is the options deadline for teams who've been eliminated by now so the white caps will certainly have done it knowing them they'll probably announce it later in the week hopefully bef- after this episode is up but it's not it'll be interesting to see where moves start to happen versus where we kind of saw it happening in this show so it's nice to kind of get ahead of that well i can't believe it's taken this long for me to bring it up but uh you know the fact that options are happening and we have yet to have a vancouver whitecaps end of season media availability is frankly ridiculous the fact that people like Caio alexandre are already in brazil and we haven't heard from them is ridiculous uh extremely frustrating to deal with that but uh yeah excited for some of these off-season permutations to come about excited to dive into end of season awards uh not really much more to say other than that uh i guess you know give a shout out to uh the departing whitecaps social media manager who uh provided a lot of levity and entertainment over the last couple of years when the team really really struggled that's not an easy role to take on and i know a lot of people really enjoyed uh you know some of the banter and some of the some of the lighthearted fun that was brought along by that so uh, shout out to him and uh yeah hopefully we get whitecaps media availability although i'm not sure uh, what it would be worth at this point to be honest but uh yeah we'll be back at the awards show you can find me as always at samuel underscore rowboat on twitter at 86forever.com find our podcast at third sub pod on twitter the third sub on instagram and uh alex over you beside me yeah you can find me on twitter at alex Ruzik, at bts fantasy bts fantasy.com where i assume we'll we'll be tweeting about the media season end of season availabilities or maybe kind of about it but uh yeah you can also find my work at uh, of course bts fantasy and via my newsletter at destroyandprogress.substack.com otherwise that's pretty much it for this show jam-packed episode hopefully you enjoyed it and we'll be back again with more soon but on that note take care everyone and we'll catch you on the other side